five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Tuesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. We are uh, kicking off our Jewish Unity Initiative for 5784. And frankly, if you told me a couple of weeks ago that we would need this type of Jewish Unity Initiative, I never would have believed it. Today I speak with you from Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the capital of the world, frankly. And the um, and the capital of a state that's going through a very difficult time. As much as I'm very, very careful not to speak in negative terms when it comes to the state of Israel or the land of Israel, there are certain realities that we've already seen in this short time that we're here that need to be shared with the audience worldwide, and we'll get to all of that. And in addition, we're hoping that we are bringing a measure of comfort. We're hoping that we're bringing some nechama, some comfort, some show of love and brotherhood to the people here in Israel because they are in a, uh, in a state right now where they could use all the love, comfort, brotherhood, and compassion that they can get. And we had a feeling that this was going to be one of the main messages of this journey. And sure enough, just in the first few hours this morning of this very, very short trip, a two-day trip, it's already evident. And that's exactly what's happening. I want to take this opportunity to thank uh, B and Ralph Rosenbaum of East Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, not only have they uh, understood the importance of these Jewish unity initiatives all the time, but in this case, once the war broke out, uh, Ralph's uh, initial reaction was, when are we going? When are we going to uh, spread some love and, and comfort to our brothers and sisters in Israel? And when are we going to find out what's happening there and let the rest of the world know about it? So I want to thank both B and Ralph Rosenbaum and the Rosenbaum family as they are sponsors and presenters, essentially, of the Jewish Unity Initiative 5784 to Israel. And ironically enough, one of the founders of the Jewish Unity Initiative has just walked into our studio here at Nefesh Benefesh, and we will get to him coming up later this hour here at JM in the AM. I am joined today by Yigal Siegel. Many of you know him as Rabbi Yigal Siegel, but on the air generally I refer to him as Yigal Siegel. Uh, He is... um, a sibling, a brother of mine who's living in Jerusalem for uh, many, many years at this point, 13, I believe. No, more. How many? 18? 18 years. Is your mic on? Uh, it should be now. How about now? Is it? Now it's on. Okay. And he's living here in Yerushalayim for 18 years. Uh, it is, um, I think, appropriate right now to start on a personal note. Uh, he and I have... Um, relatives that are now serving the IDF. Uh, Rifki and Yigal's son is in a very sensitive, that's all I'll say publicly, a very sensitive position, not in the front lines, but in the uh, brain trust, let's put it that way, the intelligence brain trust. Uh, He's one of these young uh, people in his 20s who's looked to, to, um, you know, advance Israel technologically and in terms of their capabilities, uh, the way you need to in 2023. That's, that's what I'll say. So that's what he's doing on a regular basis. And, and again, he's not on the front. We understand the difference in, in terms of that. But the reality is he hasn't been home much, right? In other words, he's, right? He's, 
Well, he doesn't live at home. I'm saying his <laughs> own home. He's generally spending yeah. many, many hours in what we call the equivalent of Israel's Pentagon, and he could be there 20 hours a day, right? I mean, it's possible he could yeah, be there 20 the, hours a day. In the first two weeks of the war, he was there 18 to 20 hours a day. And just to put things in perspective, he, like many others who are on the front lines, was called up on Shmini Atzeres, on that Shabbos, and had no choice but to report immediately. Correct. Um and that's just, I mean, that's one of a million stories that took place here. We know how many hundreds of thousands are now serving in the reserves and what kind of day that was for the Jewish people. Secondly, uh, there's a, um, a one of our nephews, who's a nephew by marriage because it's our niece's husband, is now serving in quote-unquote real miluim, meaning he's, you know, gar- guarding a uh, very sensitive area. Again, I'm not going to say much on the air, but a very sensitive area and in a way has allowed the people that normally are there to go and do other things, like go toward the south, etc. We pray for him every day. I just texted with him as I was on the plane, uh, letting him know that we're thinking about him. And, um, and, and there might be others that we're related to, but those are two most immediate that come to mind. And the reason I bring this up is because every family in Israel is going through this. We, we just thought of and brought up two people that, you know, for whom we're concerned because they're either, you know, dedicating their entire time and their entire lives uh, to do to service right now or are actually in physical danger in, in terms of what they're doing. Uh, but this is being duplicated, obviously, all around the country. And, um, and, the, um, and obviously every family. I mean, I, I mentioned, I, I, Dove Hyken said on the air last week the following. And I said to him, I said, do me a favor. Tell me who it is. So at least I can corroborate the story. I won't say it publicly. It was obvious that he didn't feel it was appropriate to say it publicly. But I said, just tell me who it is. Tell me off the air. Right. This way I could really, you know, when I say it to someone, in my mind it's authenticated. Like it, these people really exist. He has, been, um, he has been spending time with a couple who between their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, they live in Yushalayim, have 26 people in the IDF right wow. now. 26. Tell me how that pair of great-grandparents sleeps at night. 26 people in the IDF. And then you was it you or someone else who pointed out during one of our sessions today that they know somebody who had 12 or 13. I don't remember what the number was, but I heard it from somebody. Maybe it wasn't I with you. It may not have been with you, but someone else said to me uh, that there's a family again. They told me the name. And, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Remember, when we were, when we, we have to go through what happened today because we learned a tremendous amount just by doing a couple of things. Um, when we were in the hotel, mm-hmm. not the hotel I'm staying in, meaning the hotel we visited, which we'll explain coming up. So somebody was there from Yad Vashem. Right. And they, and they said to me the same thing. Oh. That they, oh okay. they, they mentioned someone who I happen to know. Right. And then you realize that they have 15, I think it was 15, I don't remember the exact number. It's, you realize uh, they have 15 children right now between children and grandchildren that are in the IDF. So it, it's, it's a, it, just to, to think about everything from that perspective is crazy. We ha- Look, we've spent the last two weeks on the air, and everybody outside of Israel has acknowledged this, that every family in Israel obviously is affected in terms of IDF uh, service. In addition, every family in Israel is affected by what's happened over the last two weeks, most notably, of course, on Shemini Atzeres. And the number of uh, people who are, who are familiar with or are one degree of separation away from those who were killed, murdered by the enemy... Uh, both military and civilians, those who've been kidnapped, um, those who are wounded, as those numbers are incredible. And you and I heard about certain wounds today that, that certain soldiers are suffering from, which are unfathomable, frankly. And all of this is, um, 
you know, this one big family that, again, knows everybody and feels this, you know, camaraderie, brotherhood, however you want to put it. Now, I, I, I feel it's important uh, as much as we... Um, as much as we're always talking about the um, inevitable successful future of the Jewish people, right? we're guaranteed that by the one above, I, I think it's important that we remind everybody what everyone here is going through. We're in Yerushalayim right now. We're not on the front lines. We're not in any of the southern cities that were, uh, that were massacred the way they were. We're sitting in Jerusalem, and yet you feel an aura, an atmosphere, an avirah, uh, where it's obvious that there's been a trauma, there has been a great effect. The the person we met today said we went through an earthquake. Right. Uh, that's, being reverberate, that's been reverberating, that's being felt throughout the entire country. And uh, I had a feeling when we undertook this mission and we decided to come to Israel, in addition to bringing, you know, messages of support, which everyone's appreciated. And when we met with this gentleman who we'll talk about in a, minute, in a couple of minutes, I mean, I, I couldn't believe after what he had been through and, and what he's experiencing now that it actually was meaningful <laughs> to him that I showed up from America. But they always say that, and, that, and yeah. he was sincere about it. But the other thing is this... Um, is this terrible pain and trauma. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's really vital and important because, look, you know what's happening in the United States, and we're encouraging it. We're encouraging people to attend events, and we're encouraging people to raise money. We're encouraging people to collect equipment and send clothing, whatever's needed and necessary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No one's denying that that's important and that should be continuing. Uh, but the reality is that uh, as all of that is going on and we have this you know, com- completely unified effort on that end, it's really difficult here for a lot of people. Now, today... We'll work our way backwards through today's schedule because um, where we came from just now has left such an impression on me. Uh, it's something I have to speak about. The um, Shalom Hotel, which ironically, my family may be listening right now, and they were all here in 2005 during the summer. The Shalom Hotel, which ironically we visited in 2005 when the people from Gush Katif were in that hotel right, right after the disengagement. Shalom Hotel is uh, in Bayat Vigan, and it's, uh, again, one of the facilities, because not only hotels, there's schools and yeshivas and yeah. dormitories around the country and, and people's apartment building. I mean, you can't imagine how many places are now housing people from southern communities. The army essentially said to the leaders of the communities down south, at least the ones on the Gaza border, that you must leave for now. We have no idea how long you'll be away from your homes because... The war hasn't even started yet. Right. You know, it's three weeks later. We haven't even started the war yet. So we have no idea how long it's going to take, and we have no idea how many weeks or months you may be away, but we need you out of here. And for your own safety, you need to get out of here. And they started They started looking for places to go to. They right. didn't know where to go. you remember the name of the city from today's? Uh, Naveh. Naveh? Naveh is the yeshuv, yeah. So the people from Naveh are net, from that yeshuv, which numbers about a thousand people? I think he said about 150 families. You end up all the kids, Baruch Hashem, a tremendous number of kids. You end up with about 150 people, 100, uh, about a thousand, 900 to a thousand people that are that are now um, have left Naveh. And thank you, displaced people, and they are now in this Shalom Hotel in Jerusalem. Right, the entire hotel is for them. Literally, 
And this is being duplicated in God knows how many places throughout the entire country. In Yerushalayim alone, there are 40, I think there are 40 hotels that I heard of that are doing something similar to this. Unbelievable. The whole thing is unbelievable. And for those of you who think, and I remember saying this, it's unbelievable how history repeats itself. I remember saying this 13 years ago on the air. For anybody who thinks that it's wonderful that they're in a hotel <laughs> and they have meals being served to them and they have hotel beds compared to the beds they have at home. Let me explain to you what's going on in a typical room in these hotels. In a typical room, there are two beds, uh, somewhere between four and six mattresses on the floor, suitcases everywhere. And by the way, what I've just described literally takes up the entire room already. It's not like there's any space left over. Right. Uh, remember, Israeli hotels, except for the high-end luxury ones, are essentially European-type setups when it comes to hotels. There's not much space in there. And this is what's happening. Right. They, they are that's when they need to go to sleep that's how they go to sleep and otherwise they are in the lobby of the hotel trying to arrange for classes for their kids because so many of the teachers obviously are with them from the community classes for their kids projects for for bored children etc 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 it is an it is it's painful to watch now again we saw a lot of very you know happy people and a lot of kids today so they, they seem to be okay, at least on the outside. But it's very painful to watch knowing that, that, you know, that they are going through this entire situation. And, and, they don't, and, and, and you said earlier that you know, the thing that, uh, that affected you the most is when you were told they have no idea when they're going back. Like I said, you're telling me that Hanukkah, you might be here? They said, 100%. In fact, they said, they said I'll bet you anything that we're here at Hanukkah. Yeah, they were talking about Yeah, they're talking about Purim Pesach. Yeah, exactly. Summer. I mean, they're talking about... They have no idea. They I mean, have no idea. Until I'm, the ground war starts and we see how things progress, there's absolutely no idea of when they can go home. Right. And the city, the Yishuv that we're talking about, Naveh, right. is on the sa- southern, southern, southern area of the Gaza border. One of the reasons, that th- one of the reasons, aside from the Nisim from above, the miracles from above, the stories are, are remarkable, that the, the terrorists did not end up getting in there. Right, it's far. It's far compared to a lot of other places. But now, they're going to be essentially on the border with millions of people who are fleeing south in Gaza. Right. And in addition to that, right next to the Egyptian border. And as someone said to us today, we're not really going to rely on the Egyptian military to help <laughs> us if right. people start, you know, tossing rockets from south from the southern part of Gaza onto our town. So it's like it's an endless situation. I, I am so I, I don't I don't want to, especially with this audience. I don't want to give the impression, God forbid, that there isn't a lot of hope and a lot of incredibly positive attitude because there is an unbelievable spirit among the people, and they know as faith based individuals and those who believe in Netzach Israel, they know they know it that that things are going to turn around and they're going to rebuild in a manner that's you know bigger and better. But right now, this is a very challenging situation. If you take anything away from these two days, folks, as you listen to the diaspora, if you take anything away from these two days, let it be that, that no matter what you think our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through, it is even more challenging and even more difficult. And when you hear from people in Natanya, and where else did we hear today? Natanya and there was another city. Where, where, where there where people who live in these cities are saying they cannot sleep at night because of the fear uh, that what has happened on Shemini Atzeris in theory could happen anywhere in Israel. Right. There could there could be a decision by you know a bunch of thugs and terrorists that they're going to infiltrate a certain area so that they they are having you know difficulty dealing with the entire thing. 
It is. So I heard that from someone, Natanya. Today we heard from someone else. I don't remember. And Renana, what, maybe. Was it Renana? Yeah, I think it was Renana. You yeah, because I heard the one. I the, the one I'm talking about was a this gentleman from Natanya who said his wife and kids can, can't sleep at night because again this. You know, the, the, all these things that we've been seeing and following just replay in your mind, and you get yeah. you, know, you get crazy. I from think it. I think the main thing that I can communicate as someone who lives here is that uh, we've lost the sense of security. And it doesn't mean that we don't believe in a kaddish baruch Hu. We believe in God. We believe that you know God has a plan. Okay, and we do believe. But when you're in a situation like this, where something so horrific has happened in terms of, and it's like you're constantly in fear, and it doesn't make a difference where you live. Like you know where I live. I live right next to the shuk. So, you know, we already, our, our building already installed extra security, an extra lock on the door, it's like, because we don't know how many, how many terrorists are still running around the country from that initial, you know, from that initial, we have no idea. For hours they were in the south, they could have stolen cars and come where, wherever. And they've caught in Beersheba, they've caught in Petach Tikva, and of course they caught on your block. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and we constantly saw it. You know, we saw police chasing people from the Shuk. I mean, especially the Shuk because it's such a, you know, a, a major of concentration of, of, of Arab workers there. But uh, so on one hand, I mean, this is what we experienced today, I think. On one hand, we saw, you know, obviously this the person we spoke to, can I, I can mention his name? Yeah, right? why not? His name is Tzion Leshem. He himself is from American parents. And I guess we can call him one of the leaders of that community. It sounds like, yeah, he's one All of the right. leaders of the community. And... Um, he was helpful to par- us because he's the only English speaker in, in the leadership right, role. Exactly, so that's why he spoke to us. And I mean, basically, I mean, the kind of person he is—he's you know—he didn't come across as a as a traumatized person. He right. came across as, or a even person. as an alarmist. Right. But it's a practical guy. And he said he's already been back there because right. they have orchards to take care of, and they have you know hot houses and, and chicken coops. And they have like twenty, thirty people who are staying there, and they're and they're taking turns. I mean, because they have their livelihood is still there, right. and they, but. So, but you see, there's a tremendous amount of fear. He was talking to us about people who have been traumatized and who are crying all the time and, and, and speaking to therapists. And, and, but on the other hand, when the, some of the things we saw today was a just constant flow of people coming in who one, one person came in and, and set up a whole pancake thing for the right. kids. They were making pancakes, and there's another guy who was doing a, a show for the kids. Right. And, and, and there was constant flow of, of, of volunteers bringing food and bringing other stuff for them and books for, for children. And that's one hotel. And it's one hotel. And, and, and there's one lady who um, Sion told us every day she comes. Like every day she comes and she just walks around and, and helps out people and stuff. So that's the other thing that's been going on. Now right. it's this, this this loss of a sense of security that we always had, um, which Sion himself addressed. That he says it's it's never going to be the same, at least in terms of what, where, especially where he is. But right. but the tr- unbelievable outpouring within, and of course from the diaspora as well, but of the, of of support and help and and wanting to help. And I tell you, one of the biggest frustrations for a guy like me. Is is basically um, that we want it, we want to help, but we don't know what to do. Right? Like we have English speakers who their Hebrew is not so good, so they want to do stuff. Where, what can they do it? And there's people who are coordinating and organizing. It's just an amazing outpouring of of achdut, of unity amongst the Jewish people, which hasn't been seen in years. And it's I'm sorry we have to pay such a heavy price for it, but it's really amazing to see. And we saw it. We were sitting in that lobby. A flow. I was facing. I was facing the door. You were facing right. the other way. So I, I saw more, and I think Ralph saw it also. That uh, just people coming in and just you know, it, just doing stuff. You know, like you know, it, it, it just it was so heartwarming to see. 
but you know the other side of the fence is that you know these people are are going to be sitting in this hotel for months away from their houses away from their schools away from and it's just it's it's unbelievable and it's, it's so being hard. replayed you know tens of times throughout the country. and you let me know that there's it's the same thing as happening up north and they're thinking of of of, yeah. of expanding that project up north you know Shmona is not a small yishuv I mean, this not what it was in the people. 1970s. Yeah. Right, exactly. Kiryat Shmona is a city, and and they just they just started telling people in Kiryat Shmona yesterday, I think, that they they have to leave. And and I know that uh, um, I, our son, my son-in-law, who was there today, he said that uh, his parents have an apartment in, in Tveria, in right. Tiberias, and that was given to a family from Kiryat Shmona. I mean, that's that's what's happening now. Mm-hmm. People who have extra apartments, people have they're just opening up the doors to people who need to get out of there and. So we've been dealing with the south. Now we're going to have to deal with the north. They, they evacuated at least 15 different yeshuvim up north. So it's, it's amazing the amount of what people want to do, what people are trying to do, the amount of support that we're getting financially and emotionally from people coming from the diaspora, whether it's America or other places. It's, it's, it's really nice to see. It's a beautiful thing to see. Um, but... This is going to, I mean, the impact that this is having on an emotional, traumatic level is just impossible to describe. We should mention, by the way, that the, uh, I mean, we've been quoting two types of statistics. Number one, that uh, when they called up reserves, they had over 100%, you know, uh, volunteer rate. Right. Um, 115, 120, whatever it was. But we get the point. The point is that there were many who said they would never serve in reserves again during the summer. During all that commotion, and look what has happened. Including a 95-year-old man. <laughs> correct. So that's, correct. That's unbelievable to me. But we got to mention that in addition to the, the rate of reserve duty, every single community in Israel is taking on the responsibility of, uh, of serving. And I'll give you an example. Uh, when people in the Haredi community traditionally express an interest in serving in the army, they were met with tremendous criticism. Thousands are volunteering now from the Haredi community. I don't think there's any criticism coming from any of the leaders no. in the community. I think that's something that needs to be noted because you talk about unity. Everyone feels the responsibility. If they, if they feel they could be a fighter, they want to be a fighter now for Israel. If they feel they could do something on a volunteer basis, a driver or something else, they want to go ahead and jump in and take, uh, take part in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of us remember the Yom Kippur War. <laughs> Maybe some... Better than others, <laughs> but um, you know it's a game changer. It's it's a it's a we've been spoiled in the last you know decade or so about you know when there's conflict. It's usually not you know hand to hand or anything like that. The tanks that you know I remember from being in yeshiva here that in the Lebanon War of 1982, where where guys in my yeshiva were killed in a in a, in a tremendous tank battle. Right. We haven't seen something like that in years. And and now all of a sudden it's it's coming back. It's, it's something that we haven't dealt with, and I think that's that's the difference here. That that the entire country feels a a need to to do something, and and that includes all all the different communities. I know you're producing today's show, and I thank you for that. But I'm about to do something that's uh, that's without seeking your your approval. I want you to stay on the air with us, but I want you to hand this to Rabbi Uri Polichowski because you have first of all he's a member of your family. So we could we, we, we could expand the conversation about family and our concern for family during this time because obviously Ori's daughter Tamima is married to my son Yoshua. Um, and did you ever hear the story about uh, their communication on Shmini Atzeres? You never heard that story? No. No. Made I, the newspapers. I, I'm going to have everybody Polachowski tell that story in a second. But also, what you just said about um, the the inevitable 
feeling that there is a breach in security in the state of Israel. Uri, Rabbi Uri, had quite a post this week, and that was the reason. I, he was just on the air, but I invited him back because of something that he wrote, and we'll discuss that in a moment. Good, uh, good afternoon to you, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you. Hope your family's well. Thank God. We were just discussing how all of us have somebody serving somewhere, know people who have been suffering over the last couple of weeks, families that are sitting shiva, and of course those who are being held hostage. I don't know how, they're, how they and their families are making it through this time, but my gosh, we pray for them, of course. And, and let's start with this story, because it, honestly, it's got, a great, it's got a great human interest angle to it, and then we'll get back to the very, very serious stuff. Uh, essentially, let, let me update you. You want to know what your, what your nephew and niece were doing on Shemini Atzeres, right? Just yeah. like I've been asking you, you know, what was it like in Beit Shemesh when half the world's being called up to war? What, yeah. was, what was your niece and nephew doing on Shemini Atzeres. And the answer is they were in Bell Harbor helping out uh, the rabbi and the community to make it a beautiful Shemini Atzeres Simchus Torah. And Rabbi Pilichowski and his family are sitting here uh, knowing that they must be very concerned as this news was leaking out. Remember, two day unta for us. Right. I don't know if you remember that from your days in the United States. No, you don't really? remember that? Yeah, we have two, two days. Two days? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, we laugh about this, but his youngest son never even knew that there were two days in the diaspora. But anyway, <laughs> so, I'm not even sure if Moshe Pilajaski does. But anyway, so, um, so they're concerned that they are, that they're probably concerned as they continue to hear, because that's what it was like on Shabbos and Sunday. The news was slowly coming out. Uh, into all the different communities. So, Uri, tell us what happened. So we were uh, we knew that as much as uh, we were concerned about what was happening. So our daughter uh, and son-in-law, you know, she would be uh, would also be very very nervous and have two days until they could find out. And there's no way they can get in touch with us. Yeah, but there's nobody there that right. can make that phone call. So uh, I had to figure out a way to get news to uh, to Tamim and Yoshua that we were okay. So how do you go about doing that when it's Yom Tov Rishon there? It's Motzi Shabbat here. And all Shabbat afternoon, I'm racking my brains. I know Tamima is going to be freaking out the all, you know, all Shabbos and, uh, and Yom Tov the next day. So, uh, so I said, okay, who could get a message over there? Who does messaging, right? <laughs> so I figured a non-kosher restaurant does deliveries. <laughs> so we, we looked at uh, the nearest non... So then I had to figure out what show they were at. Right. I don't know what show they are at. So I called Gavri. I asked Gavri if he, if he knew, right? There's a Nechum son Gavri who's studying here this year. So I called him. He knew, thank God, he knew the, the show. So I looked up the show. Then we did a Google map search of the nearest non-kosher restaurant. Called this non-kosher restaurant and said, listen, I'm calling from Israel. I don't know if you've seen the news but we just went to war and my daughter is a block away from you <laughs> and we need we need to get a message to her and she's an orthodox jew so she won't be checking the news she won't be able to call us and could you get a could we I mean, i'll pay you i don't need any the food delivered you pay for an uber service right, 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 for right, a message that's the message that's, that's all great. so she said of course we'll do it no, no charge obviously oh, wow. and uh that's she's saying i'm gonna send my my friend over right now so she sends this uh this non-jewish woman uh you know delivery person who walks in and only sees men <laughs> yeah, because right. So and it turns out, by a crazy coincidence, the janitor of the shul used to work at the restaurant. <laughs> so she knew him. So she said, "Okay, take the take this message." He said, "I'll give it to, after services are over. I'll give it to the rabbi." And uh, that's how one thing led to the other. Amazing. And the message got across. And I called the restaurant ninety minutes later. I said, "Give you ninety minutes." I called them ninety minutes later, and uh, and they said, "Yeah, we got it. we you know told them about the janitor and everything." And then after you know two thirty in the morning here, and Yoto Shaney was over finally. You know, seemed like a marathon. Uh, it was. Uh, oh, it was a marathon. Right, right. It always is. <laughs> right, by right. Right. <laughs> I remember the days. So uh, yeah. So so two thirty in the morning. I set my 
alarm called to me when she said that she had gotten the message and that she was calm, you know, for uh, as calm as you could be, but calm that she, at least she knew we were okay. And the two That's news sources that paid attention to this, there was one in print, right? There was a well, newspaper. Well, it was called Rockaway Times. Right, right? and then you had a TV station. A TV or? station, but I don't think they ever ran it. I'm right. trying to figure out if they ever ran it. I don't remember, New York One or something, right. I don't know what it's called, but yeah. Pretty cool, yeah. huh? Yeah. Good story. And you were and you were wondering I was so anxious to get you back on the air after we had spoken and there was the post that you had written about uh, protecting your community. Earlier today and then Eagle and I have reiterated the conversation to our audience back home or back in the United States that um, uh, we we learned that there's a star- there are a few stark realities that people in diaspora don't realize are going on here right. and one of them is now the fear that uh, there's a tremendous lack of security here in the state of Israel, know what happened, unfortunately, on Shemini Atzeris, could happen, or some form of it could happen anywhere. As you sort of alluded to, if not directly said in your right. post. Right, right, And you said, and I'm paraphrasing, okay. <laughs> you said, the terrorists are going to come from yeah. Judea and Samaria, your yeah. neighbors, yeah. and they're going to try to kill us, right? Yeah. You said they're going to come. Yeah, it's a question of when. And you will be there, armed, right. because yeah. you are armed. Yes. You will be there armed, right. ready to, right. to yeah. battle them. We have no handcuffs. Correct. Right. We no have, handcuffs. We have, we have no handcuffs. We only right. have bullets. Right. To the bitter end. Right. And I'm saying... It won't to, be our end. Right. And I'm their say, bitter end. Correct. And I'm saying to myself, how does a Fairlawn kid... <laughs> yeah. Right. How does a New Jersey kid... I was raised in New Jersey. Right. How does a New Jersey kid get to that level where it's not just a love for Eretz Israel and not just this incredible desire which you have described a million times to your readers and a million times personally for those who stood on your porch in Mitzvah Yericho, this incredible love for the land of Israel and the people of Israel. How is it that you develop this incredible feeling to defend, as you say, till the enemy's end, to defend the, your city, to defend your nation, to defend your children, until the enemy's end. I think it's important just to clarify two things before I answer your question. Number one, we're not scared. We don't have fear. We're concerned. There's no one scared. We're not. We're not. We're not scared of our enemies. Um, we can. We can defeat our enemies, and we're stronger than them. And we have a Kaddish Baruch on our side, and we're not worried. So we're not. We're not fearful. We're concerned more than we were before, um, because we recognize the fact that a lot of our own defense is going to be on our own. That's number one. Number two. It's not that I'm going to defend our town. We have a security team that will defend our town. They're trained. I'm not trained. I don't know anything. These guys have been but in combat units. I have a gun, right, but untrained. <laughs> I did take some classes to me, you know, just to improve myself well, a little bit. Well, you're boosting our confidence. Right, right. So, but uh, but uh, anybody who walks through my door is going to have an issue. Um, but, uh, but our security team, will, will, I'm confident, will make sure they never get to my door. Uh, we have a we have a security team which is uh, highly funded by a lot of people probably listening to this broadcast have especially in the last couple of weeks have really chipped in. We've uh, we've improved our abilities, uh, improved our tactical gear. And this is one city in Israel. This is just one small town. We're right. not even a city. Right. One small town, but all of us are up against this. Uh, we're, we're I live in a place called Mitzbe Yericho. We have twenty three thousand Palestinians that live in Yericho. Um, they're currently rioting every single day. The army is keeping that. These are things that don't make the news. Um, and it's not just Yericho. This is happening all over the uh, Judea and Samaria, what the world calls the West Bank. And they're getting ready. They, it, this is not because they're morally better people than the people of Gaza, and that's why they haven't attacked. The people in Gaza attacked because the opportunity presented itself. They recognized a weakness and a vulnerability. They're waiting for our weakness and our vulnerability, and we're making sure that we don't have one. Uh, so that they won't attack, and we can d- deter the attack before. But they've tried. They've tried many, many, many times, and we've put that down, and we'll put it down in the future. Wow.
um, there are things that you see and hear from your home that happen in Yericho. Yeah. Now that these now that these riots and demonstrations are taking place, do you hear those from your home? We hear gunshots. Um, we can hear gunshots, um, definitely. Um, that's we, one way they demonstrate. That's one way. Um, it's also one way they celebrate, right? right? Um, so that's for sure. But um, there are news reports of what goes on. We have soldiers that come and report there on duty there. And, uh, and this is going on throughout. It's not just us. It's going on throughout. And the world is not reporting on that because how much bandwidth can you take up with news from Israel? So you've got Gaza to report on. You've got Hezbollah to report on. You've got Iran. And now uh, Yemen last week, right, fired. The uh, Houthis fired at us. So there's only so much you could talk about, um, you know, before you, uh, you just run out of print space. So, so the world is not paying attention to what's going on here. Um, it's just, I don't know how, how much your listeners are interested in this, but the Jack Lew, the, sure. the ambassador nominee, um, so during his hearings, uh, you know, his confirmation hearings, a number of senators brought up the situation in Judea and Samaria, in the West Bank, and, uh, and brought up and their concerns over making sure that it doesn't spill over to them. So they're aware. The American Senate is aware. They understand the situation. Um, but the news, the news is not interested, and I'm glad. Let's not, you know, we don't have to draw their eyes to other areas. So now we'll wrap up by you answering my first question. Oh, so yes. how does a Jersey kid get this type of attitude? Um, so look, I was raised in a, in a very Zionist home. You know my, my parents very well. You've known them uh, almost as long as I have. <laughs> so, uh, so my parents are were a tremendous Zionist part. We were brought up in Rabbi Yudin's Fairlawn, which is a, you know, an incredible Zionist community. Um, from very early, he, uh, he had us connected to a, a little issue called Ma'on, uh, which we supported. You know, And I remember my the senior... The Shul supported. Oh, yeah. That was our adopted. Uh, adopted town. And I remember um, Rabbi Yudin, uh, my senior year in high school, I remember I flew out with my father to, to dedicate a library in my own. My own's like in the middle of like, you know, Mitzvah Yericho people think it's in the middle of nowhere. My own's really in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then I lived here for eight years and uh, and everybody I've come in contact with has been a, a big Zionist. This is our home. This is our home. That's why I was taught from a very young age. This is this is home. And uh, and whether that, you decide to leap, live in home. That leap from Zionism to I will make sure to show any enemy. Right, well, no, so I'm not letting anybody take us out of our right. home, you right. know, and this is, uh, you know, things get real very quickly. Things get real very quickly. It turns into from a rally, you know, from the Salute to Israel Day Parade to, uh, you know, to when you've got, you know, look, I never got to serve in the army. There are people that you're making me out to be like some Rambo guy that's defending the state of Israel <laughs> is dependent, you know, dependent on my shoulders. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. There are, there are soldiers that are on the border now that we're dependent on for our safety and security like we've never been before. Um, and these are these are people that uh, that are our heroes. I, you know, like this is a, it's, a, it's almost like a joke. The questions you know in terms of making me seem like I'm somebody. My love of Israel is nowhere near the dedication that our soldiers have, and they are willing to give their young lives for it. And hopefully, is... we, I mean, we're going to try to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. But that's uh, you know that's uh, that's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is they uh, they take out our enemies, they rescue the hostages, and they bring peace and justice to the Jewish people and victory. Wonderful to see you. The one thing I, I did, now before I shake your hand okay. and thank you, the one thing I neglected to ask you the last time you were on, we spoke about your approach when speaking to American students. Are you getting any interesting feedback from the American students? Are they asking you questions and you're like, wow, that's, that's actually an insightful question about the situation that's going on Yeah, here. I mean, there, there, are, there are different angles that, that an American student sitting in a classroom is thinking of that, you know, that Israelis aren't thinking of. We're very much in the in the moment right. right so they're you know so they're able to take a broader perspective but they're thinking a lot of 
post the war. Now, they're assuming we're going to win the war, and they're assuming they're not worried about so much what's going to happen in the meantime, but they're worried about what happens the day after the war. That's something that we're not paying too much attention to. They want to know what Israel's going to look like after the war. You know, are we going back into Gaza? Are we going to be able to visit? Like, you know, are we going to have, you know, uh, on-the-beach resorts in Gaza that they can go uh, go visit, you know, like we used to have? Yeah. You know, like, uh, they want to know if, uh, you know, how are we going to stay secure? How is this not going to happen ever again? How can we secure our border? You know, that's, that's a lot of the question. I'm getting from American students that are different. How are we going to protect the hostages? You know, how are we going to save them if we do a ground invasion? How can we assure that we're going to get all the hostages? They ask good questions. Yeah. And as we heard today, there are people on the political left who are talking about being on the beaches of Gaza at this point. Right. So yeah. it's transformed a lot these yes. last couple of weeks. It's much different. Right. Yeah, yeah. least. Rabbi Uri. Thanks for having me. Sadarabha, great yeah, to, see to see you. you. Thanks yeah. for being here. Rabbi Uri Pulachowski, of course. If you want him, by the way. If you want, what email address should we give out? Because there are schools in the United States that would benefit from your free service of sharing all this information with the students. It's very easy. My email address is Uri, U-R-I, at N-B-N, Nefesh Benefesh, N-B-N, dot O-R-G, dot I-L. Send me an email. I'll speak at your school, and I don't charge. Amazing. Incredible. (laughs) The board of trustees at at these schools will be thrilled to hear that. He is the founder of the Jewish Unity Initiative. I have to be more accurate. He is co-founder of the Jewish Unity Initiative, and he likely is getting a lot of nachas by the fact that we have journeyed from the United States in order to uh, come here at... What is it? Simon, you're going on. I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> I bet you he's getting some nachas from the fact that we have a Rosenbaum family-sponsored Jewish Unity Initiative to Israel during this emergency, frankly, during this very challenging time. He's the one and only Simon Jacob, who is now a resident of Jerusalem. Yep. Simon, shalom, shalom. I'm very happy you mentioned the north, because I actually got to go up north last week. I went all the way up. I have a cousin who lives in Dishon, which is right next to the border. And, um, And it was pretty awesome. Are they out of town? Are they have they? Uh, they moved to, to their daughters. They moved to their daughters, but almost all the towns that are on the border are um, being evacuated, and they, it's been going on for a week. It's been going on for. It isn't new. It's and they're all going, going through the same thing that we saw today yep. on different scales, different in different uh, places, in right. different places. These these people are all displaced, and you, which you have to you have to understand two things that. You know, living in a hotel is wonderful for, you know, a couple of days. <laughs> a day, but you're right. living with your suitcase right. and your kids' suitcases. And, and this is in a, like a room. And there's no place to play outside. You're in the middle of a city. Uh, it's really, really difficult. So that's, that's definitely, it's, this is not a vacation where they're all sitting there enjoying the uh, free room service stuff. Um, the other thing is that... It's hard to believe this, but the front down south, the, the war mm-hmm. down south, is less than two hours from here, okay? And the front up north is less than two hours from here. So, I, I mean, this is not a situation where we're sending soldiers to other places. Um, they're home, basically. Uh, there's some of them who are commuting almost, and in fact, going up north, it was kind of crazy to see because when I went up north, as you get close to, uh, to near the border, there's probably on the highways at least five miles worth of parked cars on either side of the highway. 
It's an absolutely, it's an amazing, awesome thing to see. All of these parked cars everywhere. And you go, like, what is this? It's all of the, all of the people who were called on, on Shemini Atzeret just got in their cars and drove to their bases. You can't imagine. They're, they're now convoys of people who are taking other people up north to get the cars back so that their spouses can use the cars. These people just ran as fast as possible. It's, it's an absolutely incredible thing to experience, to see how involved everybody is. How, you know, they're, they're Egged bus drivers who are called into service, who are driving Egged buses up and down the highway, taking guys from bases, dropping them to their cars, taking guys from their cars and dropping them back to their bases. It's like become the largest parking lot in Israel because there's no place to park all of these cars. It, 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 I, can't, I can't tell you how unbelievable it is to just experience that. And, and my cousin, who's been in a number of wars, um, couldn't, uh, has never seen anything like that. Never. And, and they, they had 10 sibs in the Yom Kippur War of this, of this family. Um, and it, but this is like, it's, this is like crazy. Um, but I also want to tell you that there's a, there's a level of, I know, I know we're bringing up an issue of fear. As an example, I have a, a son and daughter who live in Herzliya who don't want to be home alone. There's, there's a fear of being alone right. and not being with others. So a lot of the couples who are you know, out you know, in, in their first homes or in even their second homes with their kids are kind of moving back in with their folks in order that there is some coverage here. Um, uh, you know, you've got, you've got some spouses who've gone into the military. Um, and in fact, and a really odd thing occurred like the first week. There was a call for breast milk, which is like breast milk. Why? Because a lot of the women who were called back into reserves were nursing babies, and they needed women to pump for them in order to, to, you know, to, to sustain their kids without putting them just on formula. Um, I don't think there's an army in the world that has that, has that sort of call that goes out. Um, it's, it, it's really an incredible thing to see this country right now. I, you know... I get a lot of calls from uh, kids who's, who are in yeshivot, who are scared out of their minds. Um, girls, boys, what have you. There was a girl who called me the other day, last week, who said, look, I'm being told by all the people around me and on the internet that if we don't win this war by Thursday, this is last week, we're going to get nuked. And I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to go, and, and you know, and I can't get home, and, and everything is... I said, calm down. Calm down. I can tell you two things. We are never going to win this war by next Thursday. And, and I can't tell you that Iran isn't going to do something stupid, but the odds of something like that happening are so tiny. Just take a deep breath and relax. And between talking to yeshiva kids and calming them down and talking to their parents 
who are also freaking out. I mean, you know, like they think that everything here is falling to pieces. Um, and it isn't. It really isn't. Uh, they, it's like, relax a little bit. Take, take a deep breath and relax. Um, so that's, you know, that's the sort of thing that's, that's going on here. I, I'll give you an, a crazy experience I had. I was driving down Route 1 from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, right, right next to Bet Shemesh. As I'm driving on the highway, all of a sudden, this, like, moving van crosses across the highway and blocks the whole thing. And I'm going like, what in the world's going on? And then these two vans on the side, nondescript vans on the side, stop, and these guys jump out with, um, with masks and... In T-shirts and jeans and machine guns. And they start running from car to car. And I'm thinking, it's over. This is it. Uh, you know, there's nothing else going on here. I'm done. Um, so I went and uh, I, I held back as far as I could. I had my son in the car with me. It was really pretty uh, crazy. And then we saw them finally get to this one car. And they literally ripped the doors off of it. They literally just ripped the doors off of the car. And then they ripped everything inside that car out. I've never seen a person physically pull a, a seat, a car seat, out of a car with their bare hands. It was unbelievable. And, and then I realized they were ours. <laughs> they, people were running down the sides of the road towards this with their guns. Because, private, private people. People thinking, who are just civilians. No, thinking... I'll help. Whatever oh, I can help. do, I'll help. And then they realize that they're not terrorists, that these guys are, are Israelis, and that this is, you know, some undercover group that's grabbing some sort of terrorist that was there. And, and then they let us, you know, go, and wow, I was happy to be I safe and out imagine. of there, man. But, um, but that, was, that was, you know, that was last week, and it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it can be exciting here. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, I'm, I've seen a lot of soldiers with barbecues and all the rest of this sure. stuff. And, it, and it's been, it scared me a little bit, to be honest, because I'm, I'm sitting there going, these guys are going into Gaza. This is not a walk in the park. This is a really difficult situation that they're going into. I want their morale to be high, but I want them to be, I want them to be serious and serious. When I saw those guys on, on Route 1 and what they were doing... You knew they were serious? Yeah. I, I knew, hey, we've got the right team here that's working for us. Simon Jacob is here with us. Look, you know, uh, I don't have to tell you, you know exactly what's happening now in the United States. You, you, yeah. you, you've heard, but you've experienced it in the past. We've, yep. been, we've been through tough situations. You know about the unity. You know about the events. You know about people and their concern. And I'm not minimizing the tefillah and the Torah study. It's all very, very important. Uh, but, they are, but they, of course, are missing the, uh, one of the elements that we're discussing here today. And that is the atmosphere in this country. Because you're right, we're not going to mention fear, but the reality is, as you described, there is a... No, there's concern. There's, there's definitely concern. concern, and people want to be with other people. Right. They, want to be, they want to be together. They, want, they don't want to be... Lonely. L- lonely or, right. or stuck in a situation where... Or alone, I should yeah, say. Yeah, they don't want to be alone. Right. Um, yeah. The unity here has been amazing. The unity here has been absolutely awesome. I mean, this. 
there's always political animals who just basically try to mention stupid stuff. And, and I just look at them and I go, it's not the time. It's not the place. You know, that was three weeks ago. Thanks very much. Right now, we're focused on, on us being but together. Some people like to take advantage of the situation. Yeah, but, you know, you, you can't stop. You can't stop political animals from trying to do that sort of thing. Yeah. But the nation is definitely not that way. The nation is, a, is, a, is one. It's really focused together. There was, there was a woman the other day who dropped her husband to, um, on, on, what you call it, on Shemini Atzeret, dropped her husband to, uh, to, the, to, the, to a pickup location to carry him back to base. And there was a Haredi guy standing there. And she said, Haredi guy, you know, are you, you're, what are you doing here? So, you know, like, which unit are you in? She said, I'm driving. I'm driving. And this is on, this is on, this is on, um, what you call it, on Yom Tov. And there was no thought of what needed to happen. There are Haredi guys who are volunteering everywhere in any way they can help. Immediately, there isn't any thought of, well, it's Shabbat, well, it's Yom Tov, well, it's this, that's all gone. What can I do to help? The theme that you and I have discussed since since we started these initiatives is unity. Yeah, and you're seeing it now in a very different way. It's it's a it's actually a beautiful time to be here. It's a really beautiful time. It was much harder for me to be here a month ago, um, and discussing with people like this isn't serious, or this isn't this, or this isn't that. Now it's a lot easier to be here um, because of that. I. I we're a funny people, huh? Yep. As the challenges increase, yep. We're happy to be here. We finally funny. figure it out that these people, you know, aren't sitting there and saying, "Well, you're left wing and you're right wing." Right. They're saying, "You're Jews." Right. We're Wake up. We're all one. Simon, I thank you. Anything else no. you'd like to add and tell this audience? I have one really mundane thing to say. Sure. Okay. The one of the ways you can really help Israel right now is buying Israeli wine. <laughs> Sounds crazy, You're right. but it is. You're right. You know, the wineries are sucking wind because they mainly sell through hotels. There's no tourists. There's no hotel, um, no, no restaurants. And their are workers are in reserves. Yeah, and, and they're really having a difficult time of it. There's already a whole commercial infrastructure to sell Israeli wines. If, if you could buy extra Israeli wine for Shabbat or for, for celebrations, it would help so many people. It really would. So I know it sounds mundane. I need a, I need a ceramic you know, vest. I need this. I need a helmet. I need... You could do a lot by just buying Israeli wine in your neighborhood. So, Simon, what you're basically telling us is that the, yep. the soldiers need to be on the front yep. and put themselves in harm's way to defend the Jewish people. What we have to do is go to a store and buy a bottle of Israeli wine. You know what we need to do? The main thing we need to do is pray to Kaddish Baruch Hu. They're doing their job. If we're sitting there listening to social media all night and not getting up in the morning because we're too tired to go to shul and pray, we are really mess- missing the boat. If you have an opportunity, turn off your social media, go to sleep, and go into shul and pray to Kaddish Baruch Hu. That will actually do something.
Yeah. Okay. You're right. So that's that. the main thing. Uh, let me use this opportunity to thank you and and our good friend Dr. Joe Rosazada. Don't just don't yeah. wave me off. Okay. Don't wave me off. You are both responsible for what I think is one of the most important things in the history yeah. of this show, yeah. and that's recognizing that when we know that people on uh, the other side of the world will appreciate if we show them love, affection, and concern, we yeah. go ahead and do it immediately. So 100%. as Ralph and his family, as He's you gone. know, are sponsoring this journey, and a lot of people, I'm proud to say, are very happy that we're here to at least let people know that there are people in diaspora who care about what's happening here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm really thrilled to have you here. And Joe, by the way, helped sponsor uh, barbecue for like 750 soldiers last week. <laughs> of course in he the did. Middle, in the middle of the what you call it. And you mean he didn't do the grilling himself? No. It was <laughs> down by what you call it, down in the south. And it was just awesome to see as well. So, I mean, everybody's pitching in. That's, in their own way. Yep. Thank you. God bless you, Simon. Philip, it's a pleasure to see you. Stay well. <laughs> uh, the name is Nachum, not Philip. It's America's one and only I love you, Nachum. And Jewish moments of the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Our good friend Philip Bentheim is here, and Philip, of course, is the director of international relations for Yad Sarah. Yad Sarah has been around so long in this country that they are soon going to celebrate their 50th anniversary of serving the people of Israel, uh, which is pretty remarkable, frankly. And uh, I'll start on a personal note, because we mentioned earlier that um, every family has been hit so hard uh, during these times. I I literally, this morning, was at Yosef Gedalia's kever at Har Herzl. And my condolences to you and the entire family. This is your great nephew, right? Your great nephew. And uh, obviously, families, some get hit harder by others with this whole thing. But the enti- what you're feeling, I'm sure you feel the entire country is going through. Everybody's impacted. Only this, of course, uh, directly closer to home. Mm-hmm. But everybody's impacted in some way. To say the least. And families are going through a tremendous amount of pain. And we think about those whose, uh, whose family members are st- still being held hostage, those who have wounded in the hospital, and obviously those who have been killed by the enemy in this, uh, in this incredible uh, event of uh, Shmini Atzeret Simchat Torah. Um, okay, Philip Bentheim, I can only imagine with all the work and all the incredible service that Yad Sarah does for the people of Israel regularly, I can only imagine what has happened over the last couple of weeks. First, tell our audience who may not be familiar what Sarah does regularly, what Yad Sarah does regularly, and then we'll move into what's been happening during this war. Um. I guess the big picture is that uh, Yatsara fills the gap uh, created by the uh, health ministry and the government. While we're an NGO, most people expect that we are a GEO. Um, and um, there's, there's no other organization that uh, serves the, the full gamut of the people in Israel that cuts through the entire fabric of the state of Israel. Jewish, non-Jewish, uh, older, younger. And it was like that even before the war, folks. And this is exactly the way it's been. Uri uh, Lepoliansky, Rabbi Uri Lepoliansky, got started when he moved from Haifa to Jerusalem, and it was a cold winter, and somebody needed a, a, a ventilator, and they didn't have one, and he had to go to the hospital. He said, I'm not taking my kid to a hospital unnecessarily, and it's grown from that. Uh, today, there are that was the first branch in his living room. Uh, it's still branch number one. It still functions uh, 
during the week, a Shabbos, people come over and borrow equipment. Um, and today there are 126 branches across the country. And the number of volunteers is off the charts. The number of volunteers, it goes up and down, but right. it, it ranges, a lot of people. It ranges 6,500 to 7,500 right. people. And so many different areas of the country, as you just described, big or small, have Yad Sarah locations where they're able to do what you just described. Exchange equipment, return things, get what they need. You know, an emergency comes up, certainly borrow it has to be, uh, you know, used for their family member, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. It doesn't have to be a medical emergency. Right. It's something as simple as uh, somebody gives birth, they need a tent machine, uh, uh, they get a little crib that they can borrow that they don't have to purchase. Um, you know, a lot of people are on very tight budgets and also very tight apartments, and uh, then they're able to return it and uh, right through to, you know, uh, the home hospital equipment you know, fully articulating beds and hoists and everything else that carry people. We, um, you know, we we do well now in crisis because we do well, uh, you know, in the regular, regular ordinary times. Right. And there isn't a big adjustment. We sort of just move things around a little bit. But we did have to uh, immediately, uh, we, we set up, we had, for example, branches in every hospital. But there wasn't enough equipment for the for the number of people that were coming in, so we brought full container loads of uh, equipment, set it up outside of hospitals, so that we had stock. Um, uh, the number of volunteers, certain branches were closed. We set up a pop up branch in uh, near the hotels in Yamamelach because those were the people were being uh, uh, shuttled to. Uh, we have over three hundred drivers of volunteer. They've gone down. They moved people around. Initially, we didn't have uh, safety equipment and. Fortunately, a donor uh, provided the helmets and the uh, and the vests. It's incredible the work that people are doing. It doesn't stop. Um, uh, recently, we opened up a, uh, a health and wellness center, what we call a Get Well Hotel on Rehov Yirmiyahu. It has 216 accessible rooms. There's nothing like it on the planet, never mind not in Israel. Um, and it's sort of been in a run-in, but now it's been open to all um, uh, handicapped people and those, so the army is sending people to that facility. So it's now, it's up and running. And these are facilities, these are people who can't be sent elsewhere because they don't otherwise have the accessible facilities that we have over there. Um, you know, not to mention that not long ago we opened up a stillbirth respite center in that facility as well, but that's uh, for another time. So we've, we've, we've moved thousands of people and uh, we've provided we get them out of the hospitals because the hospitals, you need to be in a hospital, you need to be in a hospital, but you don't want to spend a minute longer than you need to spend in a hospital. And we, and we free them up so that they can handle the patients that need to be in a hospital and get the people home. Um, we're not the first responder. We're not in the hospital, but we're there the day after. And a very important support system, to say the least. And I'm familiar somewhat with Yad Sarah and some of the things that they've been doing, but the list seems to be endless. just goes on and on and on. And when a need arises, Yad Sarah is ready to jump in and meet that need. That is what, what uh, Rebori is known for. He sees a need, and he fills it uh, before anybody else has recognized it, and then we, then we backfill if we have to. And that's mm-hmm. everything from uh, years ago from a laundry service or to uh, handicapped uh, vehicles that were created by Barabori, uh, and we even coined a terminology called it Nechonit, which mm-hmm. is a combination of being ready, available, and handicapped, um, to uh, uh, services, a, uh, a pharmacy that distributes uh, medications free of charge. We, last year, we did close to 2 million shekel. Just in the last week or two, we've done over a quarter of a million shekel of med- medicines. It previously was to the financially needy. Now it's to anybody who's needy. There are people who've been, obviously, displaced from their homes, and their medication is there. We get them stuff. 
and some of our volunteer drivers move this stuff. I had a conversation last night with a donor who I'd never met before, a foundation, was introduced to us. To, he was introduced to us by another foundation that we work with. He said he wants to give money to people in Israel. He doesn't have the time to vet the people. And this other foundation gave him a list of some people that they can, he can comfortably give to. And he did. And then I actually had the chutzpah of asking him to <laughs> raise the donation to something else. And he just wrote me, as I was walking in here, I got his email. He said they'd be happy to do that as well. Approved. And that's uh, unbelievable. Philip Bentheim's here. We're talking about Yatsara. Now, uh, it's no secret. I mean, the math adds up. Unfortunately, there are so many wounded now in Israel, and many of them obviously still in hospitals with some of the with some of the wounds that we were horrified to hear about that some of the soldiers and others have experienced through all of this, as they leave the hospital, as they begin to go home, please God, they're going to need to turn to Yatsarov for all the equipment. And again, what the health ministry has assigned to you guys, which is basically, you know, provide for them everything they needed, they needed home at this point. I say, I would use the term, not that the health ministry has assigned to us, right. I would say that they've abdicated. <laughs> but uh, in, 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 that is what we do. Right. We actually help people get out of hospitals. So those numbers are just going to increase now, uh, yes. unfortunately. They are, they are, and we're looking, we need to replace equipment. Um, we don't have the time for it, so we're actually buying equipment here locally from distributors, paying more money um, in order to be able to have equipment because that's, uh, that's what we do. All right, so now there are people listening, as you know, that are very anxious, and the last two weeks have proven it, who are very anxious to support good causes in Israel that are resulting in what you just described, an immediate need being met, and obviously Yad Sarah fits right into that category. What is the easiest way for our listeners to support uh, the initiative of Yatsara in general? And is there a specific campaign now for the war? Or basically, it's just it's full steam ahead with what Yatsara has always been I doing? Mean, we might say something about the current uh, situation, sure. but it's what we do all the time. Right. Um, the easiest for the people in the United States, uh, we have a... a, a um, our foundation, uh, Friends of Yatsara in America, which, uh, by the way, my mother founded about That's 44 right. years ago. My late mother, yep. um, although she was not always late, but that's the way this year. Um, it was funny today. She had, a, she had a pretty good run, Baruch Hashem. As you know, <laughs> we're in the area of Har Herzl, so two of the buildings I see, Yad Saran, Sharet Tzedek, and I'm thinking, of course, of your parents, obviously. Yes, you know, as you know, it's not always easy to choose your parents. We think we did very, very well. <laughs> yes, and Baruch Hashem, <laughs> I, I think our parents also chose very well, so we have it. Fortunately, in well, our blood sure. and in our DNA, we're able to uh, to continue to help how we can. So the easiest um, way to donate. So the easiest way to donate, if you just Google uh, Yatsara or Friends of Yatsara, that'll come up and you can go right onto uh, the website. And hit the donate uh, button. And hit the donate button. Uh, for people who are in Israel, for example, um, we have two options again. Uh, you can you can do it on Google and you can do it on the Israeli site. And for people in Israel who would like to have a... Sorry about a that. U, Go ahead. A U.S. tax-recognized receipt, but their yeah. funds are in Israel, and they want to dedicate to put the money in Israel. Right. We also have an account here in Israel. A friend of Yatsara maintains an account here in Israel where people can put in shekel or whatever else it is and get a U.S. Uh, 501c through recognized receipt. Otherwise, we general uh, receipt here in Israel. All right. Whatever you do, it over, over the last two weeks, we've been very, um, very uh, uh, upfront about supporting causes that are doing good things right now in Israel. And I would hope that everybody would add Yad Sarah to that list. What you do is, as Philip Bentheim just recommended, you literally could just search Yad Sarah, Y-A-D, and then Sarah, same spelling as Sarah, 
S-A-R-A-H. S-A-R-A-H. It's Yad Sarah. And, uh, and you can hit the donate button and give to a cause that's uh, almost 50 years already doing all of this in the state of Israel in all these different locations, north, south, east, and west. But as- And I'd like to add to that as sure. well, that in terms of lots, lots of wonderful organizations, do a lot of wonderful things, but it's something that I can attest to because I'm there now all the time, every day. And uh, and I see that uh, basically 96 cents out of every dollar goes to the cause because uh-huh. we have so many volunteers and so few paid employees. And the paid employees will tell you they're half volunteers anyway based on the <laughs> minimum wage. But uh, it's some place that I feel comfortable asking other people to give money to. And uh, that's very important. And uh, it's it's vetted. And as was demonstrated by the other foundation, and I think that's important. Everybody wants to do a lot of good things. This is, this is a good thing. Yeah, we can't recommend it enough. Yad Sarah, everybody, go search it online, hit the donate button, give generously as possible. And I'll add that uh, soon enough, I pray, uh, people will again be uh, hopping on planes to come as tourists and visitors to Israel. You must see the Yad Sarah Center, because Uri Lopoyansky had a vision years ago to really consolidate all the services, at least the bulk of them, into one main center here in Jerusalem, and that dream came true. Uh, so since then, he had a, a smarter, wiser dream thereafter, after that initially started that way, was that it wasn't the most efficient and cost-effective, and we now have six uh, major distribution centers around the country, uh, which which uh, minimizes the amount of moving equipment around and gets it to people sooner, faster, better, quicker, uh, less expensively. So, uh, so Yatsara Jerusalem is no longer, it's one of the distribution centers, but it's only one of uh, six that are around the country, and we're now actually building a seventh. So Uri doesn't mind recreating uh, visions as the needs uh, come up. So when we see that large building in Jerusalem, that's just a little piece of it. That's a little piece of the big operation. Wonderful, large, large array of services. Pretty amazing. Uh, Philip, great to see you. Continued success with Yad Sarah. And... uh, and you, on a personal level, to Stacy and the kids. Thank you very much. I, I, I don't know what to say. The, the atmosphere here is, is mixed, to say the least. And I think it's important for people uh, back in the diaspora to understand that. It's a big challenge ahead for Israel, for the Israeli army. Um, well, the uh, big for, thing is always people would say, ain't me limb, and they mean that in, offense, in, a, right. in a positive no way. No words. They can't possibly explain it. It can't give it enough of a compliment. But today, the words ain't me limb are really because the horrific situation is so indescribable. So we'll leave the Amy Lim today to that for that and we'll wait for the better days when Amy Lim is uh, is just positive well said thanks for joining us today thank you very very much uh, I'd love to go to a quick song but our, our our machine is oh you know what I just thought of something I'm telling you sometimes my 40 years in radio comes in handy I just thought of an idea we're gonna get a quick song on the air so I can powwow with Philip for a minute and then we are going to continue with our chairman who is uh, standing by with some very, very important words about this journey and why when people ask him when people ask him when he why he came to Israel, he has a very, very good response that I think everyone needs to hear. Uh, and as many of the rabbis, many of you may have seen this on Facebook earlier when I posted, as many of the rabbis from the United States have demonstrated this week, I won't mention them by name this moment, but as many of the rabbis have demonstrated uh, this week, there are a lot of leaders who are coming from the United States to Israel to show support, uh, bring necessary items for people who are here, for soldiers and others, families that have been displaced, etc., and um, and are leading by example. And I think that that's uh, yet another 
topic that we're going to discuss in a moment when we go to uh, our chairman. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.
It is our Jewish Unity Initiative, and we are here in Jerusalem. And we are hoping that we are bringing some comfort to our brothers and sisters here by the very fact that we are visiting from the diaspora. At the same time, I think we're getting a very clear picture of the uh, difficulties and challenges that uh, are being experienced now and lie ahead for the people of Israel. And I think it's really important that that continue to um, uh, to be spoken about as we... Um, continue our Jewish Unity Initiative. Now, it's no secret that the chairman of our Jewish Unity Initiative 5784 is Mr. Ralph Rosenbaum, with a big thank you, of course, to B and Ralph Rosenbaum and family for their support here at uh, at um, JM and the AM. And, Ralph, I say good afternoon to you as we broadcast live here on a Tuesday morning broadcast. Ralph, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you very much, Nachum. Glad to... Glad to be here. So, Glad I made the trip. So when people ask you, why are you going to Israel, your answer is? Why are you not going to Israel? That's right. The answer is, I have a better question for you. Why, why are, are you, you not, not going, going to Israel? Right. Be- By us doing that, we are basically telling people, look, Israel needs you. And it's very interesting. I'm going to go back a, a bit because we've seen a lot of stuff and a lot of conversations that you talked about with uh, Yigal earlier. But when we got on the plane uh, yesterday, there were just these two women standing in front of a booth or standing in front of a table saying, we stand with Israel. Right. And they were offering nosh for the tourists. And they didn't belong to any group. I said, do you belong to any group? No, we're doing this on our own. We decided to do this on our own. Yeah. And when did they, I don't know how they got into the airport, but they did decide I, to do it on their yeah, own. Well, yeah. they did decide. Only, they, they, all they did was give me an envelope that said, uh, stating a mitzvah on it. And, of course, it was a dollar bill. Give us a dollar. And no problem, I said. So it, it's very intriguing. And uh, I want to bring up one other thing. We saw this today. Unfortunately, and I think you might have mentioned before, there are, unfortunately, too many because of the war, because of the the terrorism that's happened, we've had, um, we went to uh, Mount Herzl. There is a new, new plots were being built in the last two weeks. Tons, wrong choice of words, wrong choice of words. A number of, number of, de- of, of people buried. And the volunteers digging up the ground, digging up the grave. So, for that, call a kavod. But, but, there is a, there is something that we in the United States have to do. We have to support Israel. We have to give money. I'm going to actually say we have to give money. We have to f- listen. We have to listen to the money. We have to listen to where it's going and pick the right charities. You listen to Nachum, you'll come up with some, some decent ones um, or some good ones to give to. But that is what we, what's, what we should be doing. Ralph Rosenbaum is our chairman. Uh, what you're what you're in, indicating to everybody, of course, is that we were on Har Herzl today, and Correct. there are too many new graves, of course, that have been uh, that have been um, utilized to uh, as final resting places for Israeli soldiers that um, deserve to be buried in the military cemetery. And uh, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe they're how young they are, and it's hard to believe how many there are, and that, of course, is a stark reality when you're walking on Mount Herzl today and seeing that very sight. Cor- correct. And as, and as other people have said before me in the past hour or so, um, and there's one, there's one person pulling the strings up there for whatever the reason is, 
We don't have to get into it, but we just keep on praying to Kodesh Baruch Hu, then we should be okay. Now, it's very interesting, and I'm going to bring this up. Um, I found out today, going to Davin uh, Shacharit, they do Avino Makenu here in Israel. We don't do that in the States. Well, some people do. Some people yeah. do in the States. I'm going to say, my synagogue doesn't, and I'll just leave it like that. Um, and I would like my synagogue to do, do, do things like that besides Tehillim, and I will just leave it alone. All right. A little bit of, uh, yes, little bit of controversy here. Uh, something to take back to the synagogue in New Jersey, assuming now they allow you back in it's very true. after that public statement. But, Ralph, in all seriousness, yes. I thank you. I thank You're very you. welcome. Basically, the worst started, and we said to each other, let's drop everything and go, and that's what happened. That's so it took basically us two weeks to put it together, but we dropped everything when we came. So that is basically it, and I was very happy to, thank you to for accompany being, you. Thank you for being an amazing partner. Not a problem. Thank you. Much appreciated. Um, Mark Rosenberg is here. Mark Rosenberg is the vice president of Diaspora Partnership for Nefesh Benefesh. He's also been thrust into multiple roles of dealing with things that have come up in the last couple of weeks, to say the least. Mark, it is a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Morning. Nice to see you. It's a we, comfort to see you. I appreciate that. I, I, I hope you, I know you mean that. I hope others, you know, feel the same way because, uh, I want people to feel, hey, there are people on the other side of the world who actually care about us and, you know, are concerned about us and want to see things, you know, brighten up going forward. We definitely feel that. There's a sense of unity that it just transcends the social media, it transcends the WhatsApps and the phone calls. We definitely feel that. But the, the gift of the presence is a, is a added a level thing. of comfort. Well, I appreciate that. So we wouldn't have been having this conversation a few weeks ago. Uh, as I said, you've been thrust into sort of a new role. You've done a little pivoting, a little adjusting, as you've been asked to deal with certain situations that have come up as a result of this war. What would be some good examples of that? So uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners from around, from, from around the world, from Memphis to uh, Maryland and all around, are familiar with the concept that Israelis have an obligation to serve in the army. Right. And when they're done their two and, two and a half years of service, they have miluim, a reserve duty. And w- normally it happens in our office here. As you, in our kitchen, we have a board that wishes people anniversaries and work anniversaries and updates of babies being born. And we have people who have reserve duty. They're, they'll be out for a week or two for their reserve duty. So we have almost 14 people from our office who have... Just been, here? Just from our office here who have been called up. And uh, that has caused uh, a, a challenge, a challenge to make sure that the organization can function and make sure that we are delivering the services we need to support over 80,000 Olim, thousands and thousands of lone soldiers. So part of what I'm a part of a team that's making sure that the operations of this organization move forward and adapt to and are pivoting to the needs that this specific crisis, this specific war is, is dealing with. And I share this word of miluim, of reserve duty, um, because what it essentially means is that when someone leaves to go to their, their unit, for whether, whether it's a regular week or this case that it's been almost three weeks that my brothers-in-law and my neighbors and my, my friends um, have gone to, someone else has to pick it up. There, there's a vacuum. And that vacuum calls upon people to say, I will do that. Now, that means... 
parents are helping pick up kids from Ghana. Mm-hmm. Okay, it means that coworkers are taking over calls for other people. It means that the person who's doing guard duty on your synagogue on a normal Shabbat, okay, is called up. Other people will do it, and I think that first I'll talk about the teachers and schools, teachers and schools, and the people coming out of retirement to help strangers volunteering, and that this type of mm-hmm. um, this type of opportunity, this vacuum has allowed I think an amazing point for Olim who are sometimes on the outside of society because they're immigrants. And you think about my, my grandparents in America, you know, their language was a little bit rough, a little bit. They, you know, they, they, they said things a little funnily. They just weren't fully American. And the truth is Americans that come here and Canadians that come here, they, you know, they might sound a little funny with their American accent and some of their customs. They're part of society, but sometimes they're on the outer circle of it. What this has done for a lot of people, because I don't serve in Milouim. I came here when I was 25 and the IDF did not want me. I usually say I was too tall, but that's the truth is my Hebrew probably wasn't good enough, and I was too old. But my service, my luim, my reserve duty allows, like many other people here, to help fill the place with those people who are out on the front lines. Well, we talk about the whole country being in Miluim, you're right. There are 360,000 yeah. soldiers come up. So everyone has to... No, but I'm saying that everyone else has to fill in for what they're doing. Exactly. And that's, of course, everyone being in Miluim. So on a first level, we see in the community a tremendous response from Olim who are stepping forward to say, okay, we want to make sure that these essential essential um, services are functioning. And Olim, who you know had an active place in their community when the Jewish community was very small, be it you know in, in New York or New Rochelle or Los Angeles, it's this is this is the fabric of the society, and they're stepping in to do that. So we've seen. Um, here, I'll share a few stories. Sure. Um, there is a lovely gentleman uh, who made Aliyah a few years ago um, to Afrat, and he he runs an Amazon business. Okay, so he has the pleasure on a normal time of the year to learn in the morning and go on hikes, and then at four o'clock in the afternoon he you know gets start online his work and start his work day. So he manages a warehouse through his through his phone. He manages a warehouse <laughs> of, of, his, of his items in, uh, in 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 a fraught for his warehouse in New Jersey. Well, there's a logistical issue going on in a fraught with you know certain supplies coming in and out to make sure they're coming. So he is lending his 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 uh, skills and his um, technology supply chain expertise. on supply chains to help out his local. He didn't serve in the army. He's a little bit older and he's volunteering and you know allowing him to help the community. We see, I we, like we, that. We, we see that happening. We see a tremendous amount of chesed of people who are saying that there's a mobilizing i'm sure i've heard about the food sure. places we're hearing there's too much food that seems to be chesed number one i i, I my my neighbor my neighbor's friend said his son, her son is put on weight because there's so much food and there's not you know they're exercising a little bit so it's an issue it's a it's a it's a jewish worry about enough food but we see that's just, a peacetime and wartime yes, issue yes yes uh, but it, it's amazing to see that people are stepping up so nefesh benefesh is creating a, a community grant that people who are doing activities in, in their community to be able to enable them to to still stay together and and develop the new support and make a little income. It, it's 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 actually to 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 su- make sure that if there's a, a need for whether it's Shabbat meals in a, in a certain right. place to make sure that obviously one of the big things we're focused on is the mental health crisis that we are going through. We experience as as the Jewish world is experiencing a trauma, and to and this was when I when I think about the trauma we experienced. With with one soldier, Gilad Shalit being abducted. This is yep. this is so to be able to make sure that the mental health services are available and accessible in different languages and and, and appropriate for different sectors of religious observance. We are, we're working very hard with community uh, organizers to make sure that's happening. Mark Rosenberg's with us. Okay, two more things. Number one, the feeling that I'm getting both from this building while I was in the United States and this building while I'm here today, 
is that the level of interest in Aliyah is as strong as ever. Now, we do know that there are people over the last two weeks who actually moved to Israel from North America. What do you see in the foreseeable future? So we had 25 uh, amazing people arrive just this past Thursday. Uh, it was really uh, a tremendous, like, deep breath of, uh, of hope that came in. And we're seeing uh, hundreds of applications come in. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a normal, right after the Chagim is really when, ah, when people focus on coming for the summer. Right. And one of the most frequent questions I get, and I may have said this on, on the previous shows, that, you know, I, I've been with the organization now with different presidents get elected and people always say, oh, oh if this person gets elected, I'm moving to Canada. And, and there's, there's no stream of Americans going back and forth through Canada this dear time. And we, we've navigated, it's, it's pretty, been pretty steady. There is this tremendous visceral feeling of, of connectivity that people are having that, that things are just much clearer, especially in the, the only word I can say, of the Balagan of the past year, of uh, the political messiness and the social, uh, the social disagreements and the focusing on, on, on minutia of detail of difference between labeling this and labeling that, there is a sense of clarity about the mission of the Jewish people and the centrality of the state of Israel in that mission. And for those people who that was part of their identity, um, the, 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 some of the barriers are released. Amazing, and and to see that people are saying that you know this is this is a part of it, it's it's too early to see it's but it's part of part of our our conversations, not the formal meeting strategic conversation, but when we're when we're just like after the meeting, there's the, there was a bump after the Yom Kippur War of people who just said. I'm coming to fill that place. Right. I'm coming to build these places. I'm coming. And already in this conversation about what is going to be happening to these communities and how can I make sure that they are as strong, then the practicality of being here and being a part of that building of, that, of this project, which is the greatest project of the Jewish people today, is, is, is a, part, a part and parcel of the idea of Aliyah. Finally, uh, the lone soldiers. And you, through your work as, you know, through the Aliyah, obviously get to know a lot of them, and then you... Uh, interact with them in, in times like this uh, and, and other times. Um, lone soldiers come from other countries and they have a certain vision of what they want to do in terms of helping defend and protect the land of Israel, the state of Israel. Does it ever cross your mind that they may not have signed up for this? Does it ever cross your mind that you feel bad because you knew and continue to know plenty of lone soldiers, especially from the U.S., who were very sincere and took their responsibilities on the battlefield, so to speak, very seriously. But this is a challenge they may not have been prepared for. It's an excellent, excellent uh, point to ponder. Uh, in my many years as an educator here abroad and here in Israel, um, I would encounter these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who say, I want to do the army. And my first reaction was like, are you sure? And they were taking it back. Wait a minute. You're discouraging me from it. And I always push back that it's not like the movies. It's not uh, right now. Uh, a former student of mine is, you know, with this tank up on the northern border. And, I rem- and, and if you ask him today, he's like, oh, my service was amazing. And I remind him that he loved the first three months of training. It was boring for the next year and a half, okay? And, and, and then and now he's like, it's fine. He forgets the hard parts. of right. And he had a boring service. He's currently called up and, and, and on preparation for anything that's happening in the north. So what happens is that I'm sure that's part of the training is that people realize that, you know, you don't go on vacation when you want. This isn't like a semester that you drop out. I'm switching. I was thinking about going to Maryland and now I'm going to UPenn. It's, it's not like that. But we have opened up, um, we, have this, uh, we have this hotline for lone soldier parents, that part, part of our support that we're giving them. 
and uh, I'm part of the team that's answering it. It's, it's, it's an honor to be there for these parents who are calling up, asking some simple questions, some questions we don't have answers to. And all of the parents, uh, I can say in the, at least in the past two and a half weeks that we've had it, um, are saying that I knew that this was part of it. Okay. It is absolutely hard. Yeah. Okay. It is hard. Okay. And there's this thing about the Israeli cell phones are being off. Right. Part of it's being off because at least part of there. Right? If, if, if they sure. see, if they it's see a security it, measure, if they see too much of a concentration right. of cellular use, you can right. see where people are. So there's a security issue. Right. And um, I spoke to a parent of a daughter who's on a navy boat. So for the week, it's off because right. they're out to sea. Um, parents are calling, and they're very, very far away. Um, and they, 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 their heart is <laughs> in their throat. Yeah. Their heart is in the throat when they're calling, but they understand that someone has to be there. Someone has to be Shomer Yisrael. A lot. And, and, and for us to be able to have support these over 4,000 lone soldiers from around the world, when they call up and say, I'm gluten-free and there hasn't been a lot of food, so we find someone and we get that gluten-free food down there. Um, it, it, it's amazing to have those small things to be able to, 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 to give that person that comfort. And the message that people keep on getting is that, we're there for you. We understand why you're there. And my, my heart is in my throat, and my son is not drafted yet. And to have that sense of unity of purpose and, and, and draw that strength. And the last thing I'll say is, and I'm sharing this with, this with the parents, I'm sharing this with you as well, is that we have to hold this feeling of trauma and this fear that we have at the same time that we hold this feeling of unity and strength. This resolve that we have, the clarity of goodness that the world needs. It's hard to hold sin. We can yo-yo between high and low, depressed, and especially if you check the news too much. But our challenge um, is to really to behold those two, two things at the same time. And I think that's the strength of our people. One last thing I'll add on to. You mentioned, yeah. you mentioned this visit to um, Har Herzl. Right. So I unfortunately have been there a few times in the past few weeks. The past few weeks. And to see, as you're at a funeral for the recent funeral of another person, it's really very, very difficult to stand there as they're giving a eulogy for one person and you're staring at the name of another person. It's on, Har Herzl's on a mountain. That's really called Har Zikaron, the mountain of remembrance. It makes it made up of Yad Vashem and Har Herzl together. So if we can maintain our Zikaron and our purpose, then I'm confident about our future. And that's why we are really focused on these operations, these, these tasks that we can do to support lone soldiers, to support communities, support people that are in economic financial need. We're opening up these funds to make sure that we can get the services that the people so we can get through this and we'll be stronger afterwards. Mark Rosenberg, continue all your amazing work on behalf of the Jewish people. Always great to reunite in Jerusalem. I mean, I mean we should hear only good news. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Harav Zebna Bilsev Levi and Lezechonishmas Esther Basar Bilsev Levi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We read in the Parsha, Habet Nahashomaimo, look towards the heavens, Usphora Kochavim, count the stars, Koyezarecha, so shall be your children. According to the simple meaning of our Pasuk, Hashem assured Avram Avinu, he didn't have a child that one day he would have many children like the stars in the sky. Rabbi Meir Shapiro of Lublin comments, One might wonder why Hashem commanded Avram Avinu to count the stars. Their numbers are so great that it's truly impossible for any human being to be able to count. Hashem was saying, 
Just as you see that it is impossible to count the stars using normal human powers, so will your descendants, the children of Israel, be blessed with powers that are above and beyond human comprehension. Every Jew is blessed with great resources, talents, and energies. Often, these are hidden, even from the awareness of one who possesses them. The individual and collective accomplishments of our people throughout history, our miraculous survival, our identity that was held strong throughout the entire exile, to our siyata dishmaya, to the transcendent nature of the Jewish nation, Klau Yisrael, a testimony that shines more brilliantly than all the stars in the sky. Especially at this time, when Nachum Siegel is in Eretz Yisrael, a time of great challenge for Klau Yisrael, each and every member of the Israeli army, each and every one of the hostages, and every member of Klau Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael and abroad, have that miraculous, transcendent nature. The Mesiras Nefesh of the Chayalim, the Mesiras Nefesh of the people of Eretz Yisrael, the Mesiras Nefesh from around the world, the tremendous Chesed, all that has been done, all the Tzedakah that has been given, all of the Tilim, all of the Torah that has been learned, will be Eschus, and Be'ezra Hashem Yisparach, we will see the fulfillment of the Pasuk in Yeshayo Novi, Uftuye Hashem Yeshuvun, the redeemed of Hashem will return, Uvo Tzion Berino, they will come to Tzion with glad song, Vesimchas Oilom Al Rosham, and eternal gladness will be on their head. Soson v'simcho yasigun, they will attain joy and gladness. Nosu yogon v'anocho, and sadness and sighing will flee. I look forward to joining in Asudas Hoida with every member of the Israeli army, with every hostage that will be set free and returned home safely, with all of Klal Yisrael. Bikaro biamenu, amen. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Wishing all of Klau Yisrael besurot tovot yeshuot v'nechamot. i
marching band, writing chapters full of sorrow, webs of self-destruction we are weaving. Cause if we don't even try, there's no hope for our tomorrow. So what's it all worth if we are not achieving? So listen. David's classic unity during a week and a month that we've been discussing a lot about unity here at JM and the AM. It's our Jewish unity initiative here at JM and the AM, and we are here courtesy of uh, B and Ralph Rosenbaum, and Ralph is here in Israel with us in Jerusalem with the Jewish Unity Initiative 5784. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. And um, we are really here with two purposes in mind. One, of course, is I hope we're giving some comfort, some love, support, compassion for our brothers and sisters here in Israel. And secondly, I hope we're getting an idea, because we're here live on the spot, to our 
friends around the world, especially those in the United States, that uh, it's a very challenging time here, to say the least, in Israel. And uh, the, the level of, uh, of seriousness has got to be taken seriously, including by us in the diaspora. Not that we haven't taken everything seriously, but um, I think it's important to understand what's happening here in Israel as much as we can. Not easy if you're not here, and certainly not here. Not easy if you're not here on a regular basis. We're only here for a couple of days, but I think we're certainly picking up the atmosphere, to say the least. Rabbi Yoshua Josh Fass is co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh. We're actually broadcasting from our, what is now, temporary studio in Nefesh Benefesh headquarters in advance of what will eventually be, please God, our permanent studio in Nefesh Benefesh headquarters. And I welcome you and thank you, and uh, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. It is so good to see you. I appreciate that. I think you and I have had a desire to see each other since this war started. Not that we don't the entire year, but I'm saying emotions really started to uh, uh, to get pretty serious uh, for people who are concerned about their brethren in different parts of the world. So we were very concerned about you and all of our friends here. And I know that uh, you took a great interest in how we were reacting to what's happening here in this country. So it's a good feeling. It's a shame it has to... It has to uh, evolve during this type of circumstance. Rabbi Fass. Yes. <laughs> please, please understand how I am saying this, because I, God forbid, do not want to ever be accused of publicly <sighs> degrading the Jewish people. The last time you and I were in this room together, the last time you and I were in this room together, you were showing me wartime photographs. A war that was happening right outside the door to this building. In fact, you were describing to me how that war, and again, excuse me for using that term, not to be disrespectful to anything happening now, you were describing to me how that war had come literally to the steps of Nefesh Benefesh and many other areas of Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, name your intersection, name your city. There was, again, you might question the usage of this term, but there was a war going on. And here we are now today, just two months later, and we are again, unfortunately, sharing wartime photographs the most recent as you showed me of one of the hostages thank god thank god who had just recently been released by the enemy and we pray that the hundreds of others are released just like she was uh life's very different than it was two months ago but we were together during a very difficult time looking at photos in this room and we now find each other in another difficult time, but very, very different this time around. I wouldn't compare the two events at all. I wouldn't use the same terminology in any way. I think we have to be extremely, extremely sensitive. Um, the Jewish people have not experienced something like this in the last 77 years, 78 years. I think uh, the dysfunctionality of what happened a few months ago and uh, the discontent and disharmony was uh, reached a peak, and uh, and it's just heart wrenching to see 
that it takes this to unify us. But we're unified. We're, um, I don't think we're comforting one another because I don't think there's any level of comfort that one can give to another. But, I mean, you just walk around the streets and you'll spend it today and tomorrow and just everyone has the same face. Everyone is connected to this viscerally. Everyone has, either they went through it or they have a friend or a relative who is in the South or everyone has a child or brother or father or daughter who's fighting in the armed service, in the IDF. So everyone's feeling that pain and concern. Um, And I think that itself is unifying us because we're all experiencing something as one. And it's prompted us to really show our true colors. And uh, 99% of the true colors that we show are just beautiful. It's really beautiful. I think at these times, people's true personalities or national personality comes to the surface, and it's just stunning. It's just stunning to see. And now I have to uh, explain and clarify so people understand the drama with which I spoke. It's okay. <laughs> well, no, this is not to clarify because I'm afraid of being criticized. I want to clarify so people understand what's, what I'm talking about. There may, may be many who don't remember what happened two months ago when the demonstrations and the protests about judicial reform did get uh, you know, the streets right in front of us, and some of them, unfortunately, really serious encounters that required police intervention, as we know. And, of course, you're right. I'm not in any way comparing the events. But there was a tension between us as brothers throughout this country. When 60 minutes, uh, I I may have mentioned half of what I'm about to say to you today, you know, with you already on the air, but I just have have the need to. You're my wartime therapist. When 60 minutes on the second day of Rosh Hashanah as we are, you know, as we're davening Minchamarev and getting ready for the holiday to end, and they're airing this piece, about 10,000 people in the Israeli army or Israeli reserves who are officially registered as reservists who are going ahead and proclaiming that they are not going to serve in the Israeli reserves, right? They're signing a document or making an agreement or whatever the case may be. Now, those people, you know, did not realize that if, God forbid, a real war did erupt, their inclination would be <laughs> to defend the state of Israel. And, and we know that the volunteer rate in the army, you know, is off the charts. And uh, every one of those people who said they're never going to serve in the reserves, of course, is now serving. We get all that. Um, but it was, it was a different time. And you're right. It, it took a jarring and incredibly horrific episode, a uh, collective episode. It's, it's an episode that's made up of so many episodes. Today we're in this hotel, in the Shalom Hotel, speaking to representatives of a a town, of a yeshuv, that in the end are not on the list of casualties. Thank God, because of God knows how many miracles. They had no casualties in that one yeshuv. But the stories that we're hearing of bravery, of courageousness, of miracles from above, of coincidences that took place, of somebody who's called to service because they decided that they're going to wait 10 minutes in Davin Musaf with a minion before they go into reserves, they were delayed long enough to not meet up with the enemy. I mean, you know, anyway. So uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a completely different environment, but boy, as you said, people here are just... They're up for the challenge. I think that I think everybody here is up for the challenge. I think they feel that they have a role. Everybody here feels they have a role in it. We've been discussing that all day here so far. We know what what is the role of each individual and how they're handling it. Um, 
I think, just to add another element, I, I think that this has been so jarring and so historic in a level for the Jewish people and for our nation that I think history is going to be written in a new chapter from this point on. Israel is going to look different. Our nation is going to look different. Um, every aspect, every element, I think, is going to, to pivot, in a sense, making the last few months just so far in our memories. A blip. Mamash. Someone said to me today, someone who has a, you know, an opinion worth listening to when it comes to these things, said to me that um, in every facet of life in Israel, religious, political, entertainment, uh, media, everything is going to be completely different from, you know, going forward from this point, which is exactly the point you're making, to the point where they said that they believe any political figure that even tries to reemerge in this situation will not be able to. Uh, I agree. They'll, be, uh, they'll need a completely new slate of leadership. I, I think our, our, everything's going to be modified and calibrated in a, with a capital C. It's going to be completely different. What's your reaction when uh, you hear what I heard earlier today, when people in these hotels and other areas that are being <clears throat> housed in different parts of the country are getting ready to spend months there, that, they, that the reality has hit them that because of the <clears throat> excuse me, because of the way the pace of this war is going and because of the need of what the army needs to do in the southern part of Israel, the likelihood is that they're going to be in these hotels and being displaced for, for months. What do you think when you hear that? It's Just, a reality? No, it's a, it's a reality and prolonged pain. Uh, 20 minutes ago, before I walked into this room, uh, I got a, a WhatsApp from a person saying, um, the mother was killed. The father has four kids. They're looking for a place. Could you help us find some place? Um, and this is just and for six months. That was a request for six months. Could you help us? Um, because we can't even imagine any any rehabilitation or re rebuilding happening before that. This is this is besides the ripple effect that it's going to happen. That's going that's happening now and will continue happening. Um, in every aspect of Israel society, culturally, politically, religiously, um, this is going to take a, a while, a while for for us to to stand, to return to where we were, and to be better. It's going to take a lot of work. And while that is going on, we have a war. I was just going to say we also we have, have a war, a war to fight. Bad enough if we just stopped here and there was right. a stick and there was a period here and now it's time to reheal, we heal, rebuild, recalibrate. We there's an unknown. We have a few hundred thousand soldiers right now. We're going to enter into Gaza in soon. Forty-eight hours, fifty something hours. I was just talking to someone in the army a few minutes ago. Well, you're someone who's usually in the know. Is this is so, this something so that's inevitable? And then and then everyone's just going to hold their breath to see whether or not Hezbollah joins. That's the big test. We have a few hours after entering to Gaza to see what happens up north, and that's the game changer, and that's going to. Dictate to defi- a lot of dictate and define um, the next few weeks for us here in Israel. My girls who are in university just called me up and said their school's been delayed even further. They push it off to now 
earliest December, probably January. So this whole semester has been canceled. So all university students just lost a semester. And I said, how do you feel? She was like, I don't care how I feel. Most of my, most of my classmates are, are on the front lines. Um, uh, one of my daughters who's, who, who's in emergency medicine school said one of her, one of her classmates, a paramedic, was killed last week. So it's, um, it's affecting there's so many uncertainties. There's so many different emotions. I can't digest it. And I'm just keeping myself busy because I, I don't think I can digest the enormity of these conflicting emotions. It's funny. When I first saw you today, uh, I got that feeling that you were communicating to me um, that we're not going to discuss anything. No. We're just gonna. We're I just gonna. We're gonna go. We, we're gonna go about doing what we said we're gonna do today, yes. and then you're gonna come to my office later, and we're gonna continue to just do what we said we were gonna do today. Because yeah. you know, I have a desire to really get into. No, you know, the moment the moment I, I try to to discuss my emotions or stop working, I just um, I'm just um, very broken. You're very familiar with diaspora jury. I try to. Be. You're you're a Jersey boy after all, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you're very familiar with the state of Florida. I'm sure you've heard about the uh, rabbinic mission from Boca that's been you know spoken about a yeah, lot. I was just talking to them. Oh, you were just talking to them? Yeah. Um, the uh, it's a lot of bags they brought, right? It's a, lot a lot of, of bags. A lot of bags. I think we have a lo- enough bags. <laughs> Could someone send a message to the diaspora that we're going to open up a new business on duffel bags here? I was just post war. Enough. I'm, I'm standing. Mamash, how many I'm deodorants I'm could an Israeli use? I mean, it's it's getting personal at this point that you think that we smell so I am, horrendously. I am standing. Every chayal has thirty sticks, deodorant sticks. I am standing. You're sending conditioner to chayalim on the northern front. What? When are they going to shower? And how much hair do you think they need to condition? Enough. I am standing. Thank you. Just come give us a hug and go back home. But am, enough with am, the conditioner am, and deodorants. I am standing at baggage claim. Right? Yes. And I say to myself, wow, this is how you know it's wartime. There are no regular suitcases on the belt. Duffel bags. bags. It's really amazing. That's going to be the symbol of this war. I'm not kidding, by the way. I think you're right. So now, um, you think I'm right about what? That we have enough deodorants that we should stop sending. No, you're right. That, that, should the, that should be the symbol of the war. Is what yes. You're right. Oh, okay. I thought you were joining. So you're very familiar. Well, well, I don't know what <laughs> it's to okay. say about it's that. It's all fine. I don't know what to say about that. The, the suspicion is, and by the way, this has nothing to do with the you know hundreds of duffel bags that came in today because I really don't know the reality. But there's so many people who are who are wondering where these things end up and whether the surplus of them end up. You know, in one place more than others, and if there is a lot, of, we just don't know. We I really just want to thank everyone for my year supply of deodorant to my house. No, I know it's going to the right places. So you're, lots of so I hope so. God so you're officially a soldier. If you have a hundred things of deodorant in your house, you're officially a member I'm, of the IBM. I'm, I'm done. Obviously, I mean, this is you know, this is now one of the determination. Anyway, <laughs> so you're very familiar with American jury. You know a lot about people in New Jersey, Florida, and many other places. And we're trying to convey this, to, and this is why I thought, one of the reasons I thought it was so important to come here, because I, I think people in diaspora need to know, I, I don't want to paint it that people are down or that people are depressed, but there is a, 
seriousness with which life is now being taken here, which you cannot appreciate if you're 6,000 miles away. You, 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 you see it, as you said. You see it on the faces of people. You see it if you just interact with people. There's a seriousness. Many of them with tremendous hope. We spoke to people today from this issue with tremendous hope, and they know that in the end... We win. Right, what, what, what guarantees we have from the one above, I mean, that's, that's obvious. But we're pained, and we will sacrifice, and we know that, and that's very sobering, very concerning, very painful. Um, so is there a more practical way for... American jury to be involved if they're I mean all kidding aside if you know if we no, do, I, I, if we do decide that the that the duffel bags you know need a break are there other things you would recommend to people I, I think it's just more of an attitudinal shift of emo that that I'm feeling you it's a motive expression that I get what you're going through because I I'm part of you and it just changes the way you celebrate changes the way that you communicate. And that should be felt. Uh, there's this uh, rabbinic WhatsApp group of a few hundred American rabbis. I get to, to watch and be Ooh. part of it. And, uh, and there was a question that was posed. You know, when, do we, when does a vino makenu become rote? And do we stop? And some of the Israeli rabbis are like, rote? There's nothing routine of what we're going through right now. And I, get, I, I, I was, it took me a while just to, and I shared it with the people in my house. I showed the, the back and forth on that WhatsApp group. And um, just to even articulate that or to even ask that, when do we stop saying, shows a, a, a complete disconnect to what we're experiencing right now. When do we stop saying Avina Mokeno? When our boys are home. When our captives are home, when, our, when, when my when my nine nephews are, are are out of Madim and put down their guns and they can come back to their wives, when do we stop Avinu Makin? When we finish Shloshim, and there's no more deaths in sight. When we don't have to me filling out a paper for a gun license this morning. Me, I never thought in my life, in my life, that I would ever fill it out. I wrenched and called someone in the government. I said, I want you to fast-track this for me. I'm sorry if I'm scaring anyone in my family who's listening to this. And they started to cry on the phone. I said, I never thought that you would be asking for that. This is, this is where we're at. I said, I need to know that I can protect my family. This is the reality of a tsunami of emotions. And they're all conflicting. I'm so proud of the Jewish people. I'm inspired. I'm in awe of what's happening around the clock. I've never been this pained in my life. And I'm nauseous to know and to hear more stories of what happened in the kibbutzim. Literally nauseous. I can't eat. I don't sleep because I see, and I've seen pictures because I was exposed to certain things in certain meetings a couple of weeks ago. And I'm concerned of what happens next. And I'm sad that my kids have to go live through this. We, we lived through a sweet spot in history. We really did. And this is going to shape our kids' view of what Israel stands for, what the Jewish people stands for, what the diaspora stands for, geopolitical, racist, so much. It's going to go through this prism of what the next few weeks are going to be. And it's weeks. 
two weeks. You'll be back. Unfortunately, you and I will speak again during this. I'm going to go in. This is going to take time. It's going to take time to do what we need to do. And God help us finish what we need to do. And I don't think the country is going to stand for anything less. We let our guard down. We believed in certain wokeness of, of political massaging. And uh, we thought we were just hopeful because we're people of peace. And we saw barbarism on a level that we never could possibly imagine. And things have to change. We can't live in our own country and not feel safe at night. Can't. And it's not just Israel, it's not just Israelis, it's not just me, it's you, it's everyone. If Israel cannot strengthen its existential stability, then there is no stability for any Jew around the world. And we're beginning to feel that. Yeah. You don't have to be in Europe to feel it. You could be in the United States and certainly feel it. And by the way, I want to remind our listeners that as you're saying that your kids, for instance, in their formidable years are going to remember this, which, is, which as you said, is such a, such a terrible shame. What you called the sweet spot of our history included... 9-11. Major, forget America for a second. Major intifadas yeah. that took hundreds and hundreds of lives. In fact, it did feel like a war. Those intifadas felt like one long war in, in, to a great degree. And if you remember the hit the tourism industry took, it was you know on many fronts that war. It includes the 06 war. It includes the 2014 war. It includes the uh, episodes of terrible tragedy but great unity. Kidnap Boys, Gilad Shalit, and the list at Sabaro Park Hotel. And the list goes on and on and on. And even with all that together, what I just described, it comes to nothing as a total compared to what? Because I think we reached a level of a declaration of dark versus light, of good versus evil. Versus, I don't know. It, it, Hope versus hopelessness? I don't know. I, I think there's always been this this continu, continued battle of, of our independence that percolates and has this episodic events throughout of intifadas, etc. But I think we reached this climactic moment of a defining moment. Who are we? Who are we? Who, who, and what do we stand for? What do they stand for? And do we allow any element of that to be in our space? And it's a fight, uh, it's a fight for humanity. And it's just shocking to see how people don't see it or people belittle it and how excited people were when they thought that Israel by accident... <laughs> shot a missile into a hospital. It's unbelievable. Just so that they can say, oh, you know, but they, they felt so bad that they had actually emote for Israeli death. So they had to find something to, to lessen that level of compassion. We, um, this is a defining moment, a defining moment for, for this chapter of history. And uh, I think we have to be 
what we can do if you're not here, what we, I can do it. It's, it's communicate that to the people, to feel it, to emote it, and to communicate it. People shouldn't question where we stand. Will Israel be able to withstand the pressure that the world is going to, that the world has already started to uh, levy at them? As you know, things advance in this likely ground war, it's only going to get worse and worse. I don't know. I hope it does. I think the military and the people are going to demand, demand um, no matter what the world a, a new situation, and the political enterprise better align itself because I don't think they they have a future if they don't. Are you getting the feeling they're aligning themselves now? I think I've spoken. I, I, I've spoken to a bunch of friends within the government and those who are, and the people that I spoke to, not those. The people that I spoke to were very honest. It's killing them. What's happening? And they're like, the day we're gone. I'm gone. I, I'm. I'm. I'm no longer. There's. I'm not kidding myself. The moment that this is over, we're going home. <laughs> We're going home, and I'll um, stay till I'm needed for this yeah, purpose. Yeah, uh, there's no purpose. future. There's this, this, and not because an Hashem because he wasn't part of it. He's not doing a mea culpa. That that he, this is a new, a new person in the government. But they realize that the country needs to cleanse itself, restart, reboot. Rabbi Josh Fass is with us. Um, you've always encouraged people. I don't know if this is your exact quote, but you've always encourage people to uh, play a part in the future of the state of Israel as opposed to sitting on the sidelines or as opposed to uh, treating this as some people call it uh, Disneyland as opposed to motherland. Oh, that's uh, nice. You like that one? I like that a lot. Rabbi Riskin. I'm going to borrow that. Uh, yes, I'm sure he won't mind. Um, and, and, and look, and, and, and I'm not being critical. I'm really not. People don't believe it, but I'm really not being critical of anybody who felt they need to go back to the United States, students, etc. Everyone's got to make their own decision. Everyone's got their own life to, you know, to be concerned with. I get that. Um, but you're still encouraging people, hey, there's a future of the Jewish people. It's in the state of Israel. This would be a good time, or any time would be a good time to really hop aboard, so to speak. Um, so what would you say to people today in that regard? <laughs> in what way? Would you encourage people? I encourage people. I, I don't listen. Uh, I, I've we've always talked about making Aliyah out of fear. If I made Aliyah today, I don't I, want Aliyah fear. I know, but I'm I'm, af- I'm afraid. <laughs> let, let me put it this way: I think there are times in a person's life, in a person's life, that allows them to calibrate their own compass to see who they are and where they want to be, and what's right. Um, there are times that we do that in a family. Forget about Aliyah. Let's say family. There are certain times that we have something that happens in a family that we know where we need to be. Mm-hmm. We know it. It's in, it where it's in our DNA. We're, we're, we're coded that way. We know where we need to be, either for the other person or for myself. We do it in relationships. We do it in locations. We do it in how we, how we show in our care and concern and compassion to other individuals. It's remarkable. Since October 7th, we've had close to 300 people who called and said, we want to make Aliyah now. We want to make Aliyah now. First of all, 
calm down. <laughs> but besides, besides that overzealousness, it's beautiful. But it, it just shows. And, and you ask them. And like, there's no, I need to be there. What am I waiting for? This is my home. Why should my home go through this without me? Why should I come only after the fact? It is, um, and, and that flight last week, it was only 25 people. You got so much press here, oddly so. And because just, it just gave people such chizah. It reminded me of the very first flight, right? The very first flight was the one that got all that press because it was Nevada, right? Me, yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about 20. Yeah, 20. Yeah. But, uh, and it was beautiful. And we were speaking to the people. I went early in the morning, uh, myself and Minister Ophir Sofer, and we went together. And it was just, uh, it was remarkable to talk to people. It was a great booster shot of hope. And usually I'm very happy. <laughs> just remind your listeners. <laughs> You're usually upbeat. When I, when I leave, just say, you know, He's usually Josh up- is usually an upbeat fellow. Upbeat fellow. <laughs> this is his evil twin, uh, whatever, depressed twin, uh, Joshua. Um, uh, <laughs> um but it was it was uh, it was great. I'm so happy I went. I was debating whether or not to go because I felt it was going to be such a contradictory emotion. Have you been to weddings in the last two weeks? I've been to weddings here at Nefesh in this building. The, all the weddings that were supposed to happen were canceled. I just got another cancellation just now of uh, of another wedding we were supposed to go to. And uh, tonight we have a wedding of a couple from Steirot. Which is, I uh, can't wait. Who were not originally scheduled to get married here. No, well, most halls are closed. That whole industry is taking a huge hit. And all the repercussions and ripple effects of having a hall cancel and caterers and waiters and bands and makeup artists. There's so many, that whole industry. Is there any so industry that's not taking a big hit here? Duffel bags. That's about <laughs> it, right? <laughs> Sorry. Eagles, I'm done. And um, I guess those organizations that are able to continue to sustain themselves, but it's hard. I didn't realize until Mark told us that you have 14 employees that are in Miluim, which is a lot, yes. large number. And senior staff, right? which is affecting us tremendously because a lot of people are taking on wearing multiple hats, and it's, it's hard. People are working around the clock, when around the clock means they hang up their phone 2 a.m. and, and they, they get back up at 6 a.m. People are working extremely, extremely hard. And it's not just continuing the facilitative Aliyah services that we're doing. We've taken on so many different projects, I'm sure. Mark raised a few of them oh, with yeah. you. And they take a lot of manpower. Plus, it's, and it's accompanied by all the stress that we're describing. All the stress. And we have Chayelim, our own lone soldiers, that uh, is uh, I mean, that lone soldier hotline that you have for the parents... Is a wonderful service, and I get that most of the time it's as Mark says about gluten free food, but now it's I can't reach my son again. We understand why because the army won't allow it, but and they need uh, they need to know what's going on. They need to know what's going on, and the Chayilim are calling in, and it's uh. So, what do you say to people about this um, balance of? continuing life but you have to at least acknowledge what's going on when you have you know happy get-togethers and so i shared we had a staff meeting what day is it today today's tuesday oh so staff meeting yesterday <laughs> so uh i said even though we we, we passed parsha noah 
um, I said, I'll share with you what I share with, with, my, with my family and also to the Olim that arrived at the roof flight. I said, you know, Noah's given all these different dimensions of how to build the Teva, how to build the Ark, and it says, Sohar Tasel Teva. They have to make it Sohar. We don't know what Sohar is. It's the first time we see it in Torah and Rashi, and we have two different schools of thought. Either it's a chalon, a window, or it's some kind of gem that illuminates and radiates light in the Teva. And each side rejects the other for multiple different reasons. So I said, maybe it's, um, maybe it's a perspective of how we're supposed to look at tragedy. And Noach's witnessing... <laughs> the potential destruction of the world. A destruction <laughs> of, of, of destruction, of darkness. So do you have a chalon, do you have a window, and just stare into that abyss? Or do you try to walk away from that window and radiate some light. And I think all of us are just jostling between the two. I mean, I have in my office next to my, I have my, uh, my laptop next to my main computer and, and I'm listening to Channel 12, I think 15 hours a day. It, 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 not, hel- not healthy. But oh, it's not, right? I, I don't recommend this to your listeners. But again, this is not the regular Josh Vast. Um, and uh, it's, it, there's, there's, a pull to that chalon. There's a pull, an anchoring just to be in it, to have that empathetic or empathy or that connection. But then you have to, you have to build and you have to bring light and you have to have life and you have to... So the chalon is light. I mean, it's supposed to be a source of light also, isn't it? If it's a chalon. I know what you're saying. That yeah, but, you look the, but at, you're but looking at it and you're seeing... But maybe it's the, the rebirth death. of the world. Not at the end, maybe. But, but the so, first 40 days. But the, not. Simple explanation, <laughs> the simple explanation of Tsoar is that it's a source of light. Correct. So the chalon but, has to be a source of light. N- n- but the question is... is the question, you, can, you, can, you can say that the chalon itself had both elements to it. Uh that had the light and also the darkness, the darkness of the, the atmospheric darkness. Uh, I'm looking at it both, meaning mm-hmm. that struggling between the two and feeling, I feel myself and I think a lot of us feel pulled between, between the two. Like I had my parents over for Shabbat and I have some, some of my kids can't handle what's happening. It's too painful for them. And... Uh, and when they're around, they're like, we can't talk, Abba, you can't mention the war. We can't. So I said to my parents, my father's also a news junkie like me, and I said, this is going to be an oasis. At Kiddush, we, we, we've started to do, since October 7th, we do tefillot for chayalim and suim and the captive before Kiddush, and then right before Havdalah, we bookend that oasis. I want the kids to know that we're thinking about them, and then after wiping the tear, we say, "Okay, we're going to get, we're going to make kiddush now and have an oasis of try to have that light." And then as we exit, we say tefillot and we make havdalah, and then we get back into the reality. And I think that that combination, that jostling of between the tefillot and the kiddush, the joy or that oasis of kedusha and the pain, is I think what. Everyone is feeling. Everyone's feeling. We have a staff member who has not been here for two weeks and just came in just to say hello and just, just broke down crying and she said, I can't. 
I'm more productive at home. I just seeing everyone I just can't do and they went back home. So we're all we're all struggling. We all want to be productive. We want to bring light and we want to help and we want to create charities and we want to donate and we want to visit. We want to hug. But scratch that surface and uh, and we're we're feeling pain. Speaking to Rabbi Fass here at Nefesh Benefesh headquarters, by the way, how many rabbis around the world had two observations in the last few days? Number one, Vatimaleha Aretz Hamas. And number two, that the antidote for the, uh, for the selfish and destructive manner that uh, the world was acting in was to create this, to build this teva, this ark, where Noah and his family would have to spend day and night being concerned about the animals and filling their needs. Those, th- those two pieces were very, I know this for a fact, because I've gotten reports from multiple synagogues. That was a very big theme in the, uh, in the time of Parshas Noah uh, that applied to these days. What do you think of that? Explain the latter. Explain the second part. I get it. I, I get that you got <laughs> oh, it. Oh, you're I, repeating. But okay, I, fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> created, created an atmosphere where people did not treat each other properly, behaved selfishly, did dastardly deeds to others, and of course uh, uh, dropped into the depths of the worst sins that, that, that you would be high of. Uh, as a you know, as an observer, as one who observes the Shavuot mitzvahs and Noach, that's how bad it went. And the only antidote for this world that was in that state was for Noach to display and his family to display twenty four hours a day of caring for these animals, of making sure they're fed, making sure they're taken care of, only chesed, only reaching out and making sure that God's creations have what they need is the antidote for that type of behavior that almost destroyed the world. Yeah. I mean, something, it's nothing new. We have to go to extremes. We could call it the duffel bag, Vart. Yes, it's the duffel bag. Yeah, we go to extremes right. of any any emotion so that we can come back to that Shvila Zahav. We so could we're also trying to call balance it the it. grilling, Vart, because a lot of people are, although I honestly think that it's necessary, a lot of people are going and spending you know, a lot of money to feed thousands of soldiers, but I honestly believe... I really do. I think it's one of the greatest causes. I think it's beautiful. We're doing one next week oh, in Michele nice. alone for 500 soldiers. But um, I was just listening to Channel, of course, Channel 12. The other day, they were interviewing with a general, and they were like, you have no idea. Our soldiers are going to be the fattest, sugar-hide, shampooed, <laughs> no, soldiers that they're, they're, they're not eating the rations, they're eating and Jewish burgers mother, bar and, and Jewish pizza. mothers around the world said, yay! That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> they're all very happy about it, what can I tell you? Um, so let's see, did we cover everything? Uh, you're still encouraging people to, um, to realize and to open up their eyes to the future of the Jewish peoples in the state of Israel, and they should play an active role in its uh, moving forward. Although it's going to be painful for the next few months, as you indicated. No question about that. Shouldn't discourage folks from, you know, making those plans. Uh, if one does want to drop everything and move here, you would encourage calm. You'd encourage, you know, a little bit of level-headedness. You know, a level-headedness. Right. That you, that's a good word. Yeah. That's good. That's, a good, stake, instru- that's stake, a good instruction. Chill for a moment, you'd say. You say chill for a moment, and then we'll get into the Aliyah discussion. 
But it's funny because um, we've seen this on a different level, obviously, because it's not Aliyah. But the number of people who dropped everything to join the army, the number of people, I'm not, I'm not talking about those who were required to. I'm not talking about the kids in you know, one of the states in the United States who had no choice because the Israeli army demands that you get here as soon as possible. I'm talking about those who dropped everything and said, I'm going, and they'll utilize me as best as possible. It's unbelievable. Isn't it amazing? It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Thinking about three months ago, during all, well, I'm yeah. going back, we're circling around, of all the questions whether or not Miluimniks will show up or not. And now one of our staff members of the 14, he is a mafaket of, I think, 100, Chaylim. So he was, we were talking like the first day, how many people do you think will come? He was like, I'll be happy if 75 show up. 120 people showed up. He was like, I don't even know who these 20 other people are. Uh, who are they? They're just, they're part of my troops now. So it's just to have 120%. And you saw the Haredi volunteer thing, right? It's incredible. Where they needed 200 it's people in It's incredible. And you, and you see the, how appreciated it is. And it's softening so many stances. It's just, it's, it's gorgeous. In, in a way of what can be a new tomorrow if we do it right. If we do it right, we can have um, really a beautiful, a beautiful different chapter. There's a, there's a commercial that's running constantly in Channel 12. Of, Boy, are you plugging this Channel 12? I'm not sure. I think that... I hope you, that, 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 you talk about yeah. J&M as much as you talk no, about Channel that and duffel bags. I, I'm doing commercials for Walmart and... Uh, no, we, there's a beautiful... How do we get you aboard to be our, uh, you know, to be I'm our billboard you, out there? 100%. I feel bad, but that's what happens when you watch 15 hours a day. Um, no, there's a beautiful, beautiful commercial that's just... That Enyamin, Insmo, enough... Enough. We've learned that enough. Learned it the hard we've way. Bro- we've created such a segmented tribalism within this country. And if we can emerge, not being, you know, if we can emerge with a lessened degree of that. I mean, human beings are tribal, right. so it's going to be impossible to say that that's not going to happen. Right. But if we can have a softened edges, that'll be just beautiful, hopefully. I have a curiosity. Yes, sir. And you are correct when you tell me I should stop harping on this issue. But I just can't. I can't. Uh, so stop. I can't prevent myself. So stop. I can't. I'll stop mentioning I, Channel 12 and I, you stop harping. I, I, want, I want everyone to parent the way I want to parent. I want people to. I, I need people to understand that this is a significant growth opportunity for young people around the world. Um to be here in Israel at this time. And I know I'm wrong in harping on this, but I'm curious. You have people in your family who are of teenage age who do see that there are American students who've decided to leave at this time. Do they have any resentment? Do you think that the group of Orthodox young people who are stepping up their game for the war effort, do you think they resent when their colleagues... Leave Israel at this time? I don't think... Uh, I think resentment is a strong word. I think there's an appreciation of fear, either by the parents who are so far away or from the students. I don't think there's any... A resentment has a, an undertone of, of being judgmental. I don't, think, I don't think they're judgmental. I don't think there's resentment. I think it's just, wow. 
those 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 parents are they felt the need right they felt the need and it's also the, but that's the, the constant dynamic between 18 year olds or 19 year olds here in israel versus 19 year olds in america 19, right. they're going to the army they're protecting versus 18 year olds are you, you know amba and Ima want us home or home you know no matter what so there's a different there's a cultural that's just an, an expression or a symptom of of a, of a cultural delta but uh, no, they, they appreciate the, the depth of it. They understand it. They understand some people need to be in a safer zone. And if they don't have to, then okay. And no one's judging it. Yeah. A, uh, an American Jewish father once reported to me that his son had just joined the Israeli army. So I wished him a mazel tov. And he was very, like he could see. He, he looked like you did today. You know, like you could see he's not... Uh, Accepting the Mazel Tov with any type of enthusiasm. Thanks. <laughs> I become your barometer of, no, of, hey, of a downer. Hey, hey, let's be fair. It's fine. Let's you, be you, fair. You're allowing this, Ego? Let's be fair. You're allowing this. Let's, Watch Channel 12. <laughs> let's be fair. I'm Channel 14. Guys. Let's be fair. This audience knows that you and I have had quite a relationship for decades at this yes. point. Yes. So let's be fair. When I sit here and say that you know, this, this, these are difficult days for you. And I'm in a way jealous, frankly, because I don't feel the way you do, and I wish I would. I have to tell you, parenthetically, um, a rabbi in America sent me flowers for Shabbos. That's very nice. With a note, because they've just been hearing all my interviews, and they think I'm about <laughs> on the verge of crying. So, like, one of my kids was like, Abba, you got therapy flowers. You got some flowers. But I like that. It gesture. was beautiful. I like that. That's gesture. an emo and achibetzara. A hundred percent. I like that. Did you say who it was on here? Yes, Rabbi Tuvia Brander. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Gorgeous. I was. So, that's a great young so, leader. So that is a great young moved. leader. I would have sent deodorant. <laughs> that Thanks. Is, that is. Really I was nice. so moved by it. That is. Really I was nice. so moved. And someone else also just sent a note. I'm far away. I'm listening to you. I've heard a few things. Here's a hug. I'm giving you a virtual hug. And, and it means a lot. It means a person has that empathy, understands that these are challenging times. Challenging times of what we're dealing with. I mean, it's fine to talk about the programs and that, but just the individual cases that we're dealing with are just um, are hard. So I see this father has a fast face, right? Oh, and we're back to that. Fast face. That's a good one. Good so segue. I, so I say to him, I say to him, is everything all right? So he says, well, we sent him to the right schools and we went to all the rallies, demonstrations, and parades. I wanted him to be a Zionist, but not this much of a Zionist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, welcome to my world. This, every single time I walk in Teaneck, I get the same look. Mm. Look what you've done to look our family. Done. So, you did something right. I did something wrong, but it's okay. There's so many families that are on both sides of the world right now, right? There's so many. Teaneck, Long Island, L.A., Chicago, pick a city, especially the ones that are hubs of Aliyah. And, and I don't mean split, obviously, in, in a, an emotional way. They're split distance-wise. They're split geographically. Correct. Going back to the students for a second, yeah. if any parents are listening, when, this is, when there's calm, send them back. Send them back not just for the institutions to have stability and that they can gain as much as they can from this year, but it's a good message. It's a good life message. Well, calm would mean 
when the Gaza situation who is knows calm. what no, calm is or what the new at, calm is. But at the minimum, but just but at the minimum, calm would mean when the Gaza situation is calm. It, or an, I don't know. They came. They needed to be home. They needed to to have that hug. They needed to have that pause. It, it, don't as don't message that when when something is tough we run it's it's just not a good message and that's different it's okay to regroup it's great to go to the corner in like a boxing ring and to to i don't know i don't know boxing (laughs) and then get back in (laughs) re-energize that's good i don't drink something get something sprayed like from one of those guinea pig you know bottles on your face whatever it is but you've got to get back you got to get back and you have to teach that to your kids so that they come back not for the year in Israel experience, but for them to realize that things of value, you don't abandon. You come back. You, you might have to strengthen yourself. You have to look at your parents. I'm okay. We're good. These are new conditions. Go back. So you and I agree on this. We just have different ways of manifesting it. In other words, you're, you're let's put it this way, to be careful how I'm saying this. You're somewhat more sympathetic when someone feels the immediate need to protect their children. A hundred percent. I think you do what you need to do. Right. Everyone needs to do what they need to do. I, I'm not, people have emotional needs. People have fearful barometer. People have different things, personal issues that they have to care for. Right. And that's fine. Sometimes you have to regroup. Sometimes you have to leave. Sometimes you have to, re- whatever it is, but just message Okay, this is a, a, a long recess, but it's a recess. So that then they grow up realizing, okay, that, then I needed to regroup. My parents needed to regroup. We, we, we went over safety issues. We, we, you know, things are a little calmer. I'm going back. But just the messaging of when things are ch- challenging, you just pivot and move. It, it's, it's, that's what concerns me more. Not an Israel-centric concern but more of uh, a maturation concern. I flew this morning and landed in Israel with some very prominent people. And first of all, you look amazing for someone who just came off a plane. Just want to say. Well, thank you, Rabbi Fats. Duffel bag was <laughs> You're welcome. As long as I'm, as long as I'm schlepping stuff for NBN, I'm fine. Yeah, I exactly. look great. He looks great. You look wonderful. <laughs> He doesn't look wonderful. I, he always looks wonderful to me. He looks just, wonderful. Sure I, that came out of your You mind. know what's funny? I think the people around me were shocked. That you looked wonderful? No. I, I think the people around me were shocked. Because if I was asked by anybody else on planet Earth to take a duffel bag to Israel... You would say... <laughs> not a chance. No. Including but, his siblings. But when Rabbi Fass... Like, everyone around me was like, you're not even objecting? You're not even upset? No. Rabbi of course Fass, not. Rabbi Fass needs this done. I'm doing it. Simple as that. Because I was supposed to be in America like four times in the last two weeks. <laughs> well, if you need me to bring more, let me know. Now we're done. Rabbi Fass. What was yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I, I'd, I'd land this morning with, with, very, with a lot of prominent people on the plane. One of them is somebody that Yigal and I know since we're, I don't know, five years old. He's a prominent physician, oncologist. He is in, I said, what are you doing here? We're at baggage claim. I had not seen him on the plane. We're at baggage claim. What are you doing here? He is here because his hospital in, I, I don't want to give out too many details to be fair to him, but whatever, I think this is all right to say. His hospital in New Jersey said to him, if you feel the need, and he's a very prominent physician, if you feel the need to go to Israel and do anything for any length of time, just go do it. We're 100% behind you. We'll support you. And he was here for Sukkot, went back, arranged everything with his patients, now is back here. So, giving out too many details. Anyway, (laughs) so um, what's he doing? He'll be spending the next three weeks in Ichalov Hospital. Mm -hmm. 
there are a lot of people. You know, it's a Jewish audience. Chances are we have some doctors and physicians. Listening. One or two. Yeah. Possibly. They want to know. You know. The impression is that of all the industries that really need and the anticipation that there will be a need, it's this industry, right? It's medical help. I don't even know if you need full-time nurses. You could, you could tell us what you've learned from your government friends. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about physicians and doctors, who, physicians, doctors <laughs> who are desperate to get here, the same way the soldiers are desperate, or those who want to serve as soldiers have been desperate to get here? Okay, excellent question. First of all, one should be, or especially Israeli citizens, uh, rest assured that out of all the government agencies, uh, probably the best one run right now is the Ministry of Health. They have a command center in Tel Aviv, which uh, I went to last week for a debriefing. It is incredible. It is, uh, it's run well. It's executed well. Every branch, every hospital, every kupa, the army branches are represented. Um, every sector is divided by populations, by needs, to make sure that during wartime people are getting the service that they have. And they need specific reinforcements. Mm. Specialized areas. Specialized areas. Um, so instead of having, uh, we have hundreds of physicians, we, we combined us and the Ministry of Health, there are around 5,500 physicians around the world that are willing to drop everything and get on a plane. You have a list of them. Yeah. yeah. Thousands. It's a yeah. Thousands. <laughs> So the system is, I said, let's do a charter flight next week. Let's bring, I, we already called El Al. Well, I heard this idea. And I, know. I, thought, I thought it was dead. So I thought, I, yeah, it's, it's dead. But I, I said, let's get, let's get a charter flight. I'll put 300 physicians and then you spread. And they're like, that doesn't help our system. Doesn't help. We need to know day by day exactly what specialists that we need, either from the army or from the hospitals or from the forensic pathology department. We need to know what we need. And then we go into the list, we filter it out, we see their credentials, then we call the consulate, or we call Mr. Adeklita, or we call the Jewish agency, and we'll tell them, get them here, or see if they're willing to come. Right. They'll make the phone call, the physician says, I'm ready. The moment that the physician says, I'm ready, then they send them to us. And our desk here is now arranging all logistics for the physicians who are coming here. We helped to any 20 physicians in the last week come Working oh, chances are the person who came today may have been walking, one of them. Working throughout the country right. in different hospitals and different clinics. Um, and it's incredible. It's reinforcements for a host of reasons we need this. So I sent you a physician recently. The chances of her service being utilized here, 50-50, like it depends on her specialty or needs, whatever. We have no idea. No, I, I don't know. It, it'll be I, down I the road it, if someone uh, feels that, that she'll be an added bonus to come the, to Israel. The, the, the greater the specialty that they need for the right. required need is, is uh, has a higher prob- probability. Interesting. And there are different elements that we have, you know, we have... A lot of doctors in Miluim right now. We have the mass casualties, so right. it's a lot. So if of someone's length. screaming, "I'm willing to serve," and they're not calling me, you have to understand. No, I, 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 only- Nahum, I'm doing that all day long. I'm WhatsApping people. It's not that they don't. It's not you. Want you. It's not you. It's us. <laughs> right. It's, but uh, it's true. No, 100. percent If we don't need you, we're not bringing you. Anywhere. Exactly. Just know it's a beautiful thing that you volunteered, right. and uh, and that you're ready to do it when the, when they're. And it also you have to understand you have to get a temporary medical license. Right. So bringing 300, 400 physicians here, 
the last thing that they, Ms. Radebrew needs to worry about right now is More how paperwork? do we make no yeah paperwork right. for 400 people that land that day. Right. That means they'll put them in a hotel. Which hotel? Right. Well, the hotels now have the, right. the Southerners, now Northerner refugees. Right. So what are you going to do? And Sefi Mendelovich, who's running the whole Hamal, said to me, Dr. Mendelovich, he said, well, I, I don't want to bring 300 people here and then, and then have them frustrated that it's taking me two weeks, three weeks to get them their license and then place them into a hospital. Let's do this. One by one, smart, strategic. And that's how they're, they're, they're running the entire st- infrastructure right now. And we will not see that with any other industry. I mean, I'm just trying to think. Like, we're not going to see that with anything else. Doctors are the ones that, are, that, God forbid, are likely going to be needed here. But there's no other group of people. That, we're not asking for engineers and tech people to No, not right now. Up. It might be afterwards for the, rebuild, for the rebuilding efforts. We have to rebuild communities. We have to rebuild communities. So... Well, what will be needed then? And also industries. Who knows what will happen after this war of how lax. How do I say this nicely? <laughs> um, workforce right. flexibility will be. Right. Uh. Um, and that will change the dynamics of, of, of so many different industries. We have a cleaning crew here made up of Arabs, and, and the firm that said, we cannot, you're a high target. We can't go to sleep at night knowing that we're, we're going to bring them to, so they, they, and that's a horrible feeling. We have a relationship with them. But if you have the company themselves, the mother company says that we can't, we can't go to sleep at night knowing that, that we don't, can't assure your safety for 100%, that's sad. I mean, it's a new reality, but then that's also a new workforce. So, all those openings, all the workforces, all the biggest cry right now is our agricultural scene. No workers. There are no workers. So we have tons of teenagers and college students, because they don't have college and university, are now picking avocados and picking tomatoes and picking pomegranates. And uh, that's what's happening every day. Tons of industries. Well, you look around, we're giving out flowers to everyone because uh, an industry just had to get, they, they just had to pack up all their stuff in because it's dying. No workers. So we just sent over a van and bought flowers for the whole staff. I was sad to see your neighbors next door with, you know, they're... they're no, it's the whole cinema. Nobody's around. All the, all the shops. One or two restaurants are open, barely. And one or two customers. Yeah. So... So that, I just wanted to... Sure. Would you... There are people who are asking, like, I mean, to me, it's a big thing that Nachman Ralph came, even for two days. But um, I was having a discussion with someone yesterday. That if pe- are we encouraging visitors now? Because there are no hotel rooms. At least for sure in Yerushalayim, it's very difficult to get a hotel room now. And there are a lot of restaurants that are closed because of lack of staff, etc. What, what normally a visitor would do here, like if you encourage people to come to spend money and stuff, a lot of that stuff is not happening now. So the question is, do we encourage um, people to come to visit now? Like for me, to have my brother here is a big chizuk to me, right? So is it, is it something we encourage or not? I, I don't think if it's for industry rehabilitation, I, 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 I don't think it helps. Uh, right. And it just frustrates but probably chizuk, frustrates even more. But chizuk missions. But chizuk, I think, is very important. Especially if they know that they're volunteering if and there's, doing If things, there's a purpose, know. if there's a toilet to it, yeah. then for sure. I mean, right. one of the projects we're going to do is Operation Hug. Is that we're going to give free tickets to parents of lone soldiers from around the world. 
When does that start? Next week. Just come. Some people, some parents are having a really difficult time being far that's, away. They that, just want to be in the same country. That's an NBN initiative? or an gov- NBN. Not no, a government no, in Israel. No. Oh, come on. <laughs> that's adorable. Wishful thinking, <laughs> Nahum. Um, no, that... You know, airline I, tickets are expensive. Now. Oh, trust me. But I also don't know where they're going to stay. Right. So, yeah, And I'm not going to take care of the hospital. I'll take care of the flights, sleep by a cousin. But, um, but that's not an industry... Right. That's a specific purpose. Right, right. So if there's a, a purpose, and, uh, and you're trying to heal, you're trying to show concern. The tourism industry in general has a lot of people that are not necessarily of the Jewish faith. Let's put it that way for this conversation. Yeah. When that industry does come back, I mean, we're talking about obviously you know, far down the road, or what seems right now far down the road. When it does come back, those positions are going to have to be filled the same way you spoke about the agricultural, agriculture positions that are needing to be filled now. Yeah. So it's going to be a transformative work. I mean, I don't know how you put it before. You said flexible workforce. It's going to be like a transformative workforce. It's it's, be it'll be a interesting. completely new scene here. Or, we, or don't know. we don't know. Or there'll be an allegiance shift. And that will be remarkable. A full different geo- geopolitical alignment. The people who are standing for something, for light and life and hope. And goodness. Joining with the people here who believe in the same principles and values. Exactly. Boy, wouldn't that be the fulfillment of certain prophecies? Yeah. We get to that point. Uh, Well, we've been speaking for an hour. That's it? Does it seem longer? So let's recap. With me, I know it does seem longer. You said duffel bag around 12 times, deodorant 27, channel 12 like 149 (laughs) times. Except for the duffel bags, the other two you're responsible for. I don't think I said a word about deodorant, but... uh, that was ego. He has, a, he has a fixation on the deodorant. Sir, I had no fixation. <laughs> it's that or chapter, channel 12. I don't know. It's a drinking game every time. Do you remember back in 2006, we were told... In no, I don't remember anything since last, like four days <laughs> no, ago. No, but seriously, back in 06, we were told seriously that soldiers did not have basic necessities and essential. I'm not talking about, about toiletries. I'm talking about you know underwear and socks. First of all, so was that true then when we were doing all that collecting and distributing? And, and no, is that it's still, still the case it today? Depends. It depends where they are. It depends which troops. It, so there's certain troops who have everything they need and certain troops who are desperate for Correct. Stuff. Correct. There is a need. We mobilize so many soldiers within hours. Yeah. No one anticipated. You don't have... And so even the bases weren't prepared correct? for those numbers. No. 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 And people ran, so people didn't prepare. It wasn't normal miluim. It wasn't normal. You had right. hundreds of thousands of people. I remember we have, on our block, we have 18 houses, 18 homes. And 15 of them had sons who went on Shabbos to the army. So it's just, just the scene, the scene on Simchas Torah were just cars up and down, jumping, wearing Shabbos clothes, <laughs> grabbing whatever they can, throwing stuff in, just running to the bases, running. So just that was so, so you know, spontaneous, reactive. So then you get to the bases, they didn't bring anything with them. They've been there for 17 days. Wow. And, uh, and you had tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So 
they're, they're being mobilized. And then you have, this tube has this, and I'm jealous of that, and this person has that, and why don't I have that? And then that creates a, a, a frenzy for, for products. And then we start barbecuing. And if they get better meat than the other guy. Mm. Uh, you walk into shul on a typical morning. It's obvious that there are plenty of people missing, right? Oh, it's... It's obvious. Yeah. I yeah. think it's everywhere. I don't think it's in specific places. No, I know it's everywhere, but shuls that have 12 people... Normally. No, but you see our, our, our young adults are gone. Yeah. That whole yeah. segment. The whole segment. And and if you're in a community, it's it's hundreds or dozens. It's it's your whole population that is. So we saw it in a hotel today. Yeah. If you looked around the lobby, oh my you gosh, saw mothers and children, hundreds of kids, hundreds of kids, and yeah. and very very few young adult males. Correct. If any, right. The 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 youngest of the adult males were probably forty years old right. or thirty five years old. So you see, so that's missing, and then you see the faces of the parents. The parents are are visibly carrying their concern very very openly. So it's just a very different. The atmospherics are completely different. You're missing a population that are out fighting, and they they were you know they're amudha tzibur amudam and there you have all your guys. And uh, the parents are, are walking concerned, justifiably. Being on Har Herzl with you today was a jarring experience for many reasons. One of them was when I pointed out to you that it's obvious that the two graves next to each other were two brothers, 22 and 21 years old. Mm-hmm. You, you, you must have people in your neighborhood who have multiple kids in the Army. It's yes. got to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's... We can't, we can't, as American parents, we can't even imagine it. Literally not being able to sleep at night. Literally. I mean, literally, like, you know, sitting on your couch and just wondering what's going on. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, that's why it's such a, um, it's such a dramatic separation or difference. It's a dramatic difference. Right. Incongruity. Right. That's what it is. We'll never be able to relate to it. I mean, we're trying. It's one of the reasons we're here. I can't relate to it. I don't have a son in the army right now, and I and I and I I feel, feel guilty. I feel it. not guilty. I feel off. Mm-hmm. I'm Mariv at night. I'm I'm standing with with fathers who every single one of their kids is in the army. Everyone, it's a small million, and I I just I I don't even. I feel like I have hundreds of sons because of all the chaylim bodim. I'm dealing with calls all day long, but I I just don't. What gives me the right to to put my head down on a pillow when I know that everyone else is sleeping differently or not sleeping? So it's another emotion to throw into the mix. And then while we're at it, we should also mention as much as every segment, and this has to be acknowledged. Every segment of the Jewish community is doing their part. And it's obvious we keep emphasizing it and call a vote to everybody. But that segment of our community that has so many single mothers, and I don't mean, God forbid, that, that their husbands are never coming home, but they are now raising their kids alone. Their husbands are in the army. And those kids who are you know, without their father and who are wishing that he'd walk in that door any moment. And again, we are praying and are confident that he will, but you get the point. That whole segment of Israeli society is operating in a completely different realm. And that's why when Mark said earlier 
that there are people who literally try to help these moms by just filling in and just, you know, doing tasks for them that yeah. are helpful. That 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 might be the most chesed one can do. I agree. In this case. They're strong women. It's unbelievable. Really and the kids. And the kids. I mean, we know that kids have a fortitude that we'll never understand as adults. Or not. But, uh, but for it to, to fall all on one person, to single parent with a concern and with everything going on and running to the mamad with your kids, don't think it's not just the logistics and school and homeschooling because kids are not back yet fully. It's the worry, it's concern, and also the reactive needs because of the war. It's a lot. And the uncertainty. You don't know when this is over, when they're coming home. Yeah. And on top of that, they saw their protectors go through a terrible breach of security, and they know it could happen anywhere, to the point where somebody who never thought he'd ever carry a gun is now trying to expedite that system. I'm not going to get one. I'm going to be there. Uh, oh, you mean in the end, when push comes to shove? No, I will like, I think. but uh, You will? I'll, I'll be disqualified, I think, <laughs> which is looking at the medical... Uh, <laughs> they won't allow you. Oh, my they God. Won't, they won't allow you to have one. Do you have this? Yes. Do you have this? Yes. Do you take this? A hundred percent. Did you ever? Yes. Stop asking. Do you know of a friend who has yes? Do you watch Channel 12? A hundred percent. Fifteen hours. <laughs> Well, man, I guess you've been disqualified. Not yet. I still have protexia. <laughs> <laughs> They're well, afraid you're going to shoot the screen. <laughs> oh, that might actually be the pro- pro- That may be the issue. Uh, Rabbi Fass, I thank you. I thank you for coming. I, I think it's... Um, I just told Tony. Tony called me beforehand. Tony Gilmar, my co-partner. And I said, Nachum came. He was so moved by your speech that he jumped out of plane. He was like, and I left! <laughs> Well, on Friday, when I said to Malcolm that uh, if he's here Tuesday, join us at the NBN studio, he said, no, if you're coming, I got to go. We cannot, we, we, oh, yeah. United <laughs> States can't be without both of us. Beautiful. One, maybe, but not both of us, of course. There's a lot going on in diaspora. It needs to be taken care of. No, uh, but, but, uh, but you being here and the experiences that you're having today and tomorrow, uh, I think are very, very impactful. Not just for the people who are receiving your instinctive compassion, which is, for you, it comes naturally. But, um, but be able to share the complexities. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's subtleties, it's complexities, it's the incongruities, the different emotions. If you're able to communicate that to people back at home, then, then they'll understand the depth of what's happening and how we're really, how this is different from intifadas, how this is different from past conflicts. And this the, is an existential fight. And the reason I keep harping on it is because they were so serious. Those were such serious oh encounters, such serious times. And, and it's nothing compared to this. Yeah. If you would have asked us three, three weeks ago, what's the most serious thing to happen in Israel over the last 20 years? We would have had a whole list of things to, to choose from, you know. But now the existential threat on top of the breach of security, on top of the fear that certain people have at this point. Put it all together. It's a very challenging time. I thank you, Rabbi Fass, and it would only be appropriate if I remind people who are looking to move to Israel, nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il, and if you're a physician. Uh, register. Meaning just Get on the website. Register. Go to the site and register. Simple as that. All right. 
especially if you're a specialist. That came out right. funny. If you've got a uh, a specialty, especially if you're a specialist with a specialty, right? You like that. <laughs> This has been fun, very uplifting. Is that bad that it was fun? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Because an I hour, any time an with hour you. ago, you didn't have this disposition. It's a little different. You, you gave me a smile. You've transformed, oh. Rabbi. Right? You've transformed a bit. Thank you. He's going to the airport now. His mission is... So I had, thera- <laughs> I had therapeutic flowers, this and now was, I had a therapeutic interview. But in all seriousness, this was the first smile we saw from Rabbi Oh, Fess. stop it. <laughs> Rabbi Fass. What? You, you would argue no. with me that this I is not... I smiled when I saw you this morning, That's and then it stopped. That's, that's true. true. And then we haven't smiled true. since. Neither <laughs> one. Right. There was we an initial smile. There was God an, forbid a second smile. There was an initial <laughs> smile, but then you were very reserved. Hey, it's wartime. We're it's also w- in a cemetery. And it was in a cemetery, right? Bonus alum. Well, you smiled on and the what a, and, and I still can't get over that experience, I'll tell you. Because that cemetery is multiplied by how many around this country? The, the yeah. sacrifice that has been made... Over these decades. Okay, we're circling back to, 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 For the to darkness. But we're that's, circling but that's back. A, but that's a very good point to end on. Sacrifice. It's been built on a Values. lot. It's been built on a lot of that. Yes. It's built on a lot of that. The soldiers of 21 and 22-year-olds. Literally. We saw Miriam Peretz's son buried right near where we were. I mentioned uh, the Gedalia family before, which is, you know, obviously for... A lot of people who know them, um, very jarring. And Zachary Baumel. Yeah, right there. How many times did we, did we daven for, <laughs> mention, speak to his parents on the air? Yeah. Do ever, Dr. Dietrich was so involved with the Syrian government or Saudi Arabian government, whoever it was, in, in trying so. to get any information. This Arafat, that Haleria, what he did to the family and holding up information. Sickness. And, and, and there he is in his final resting place. Yeah. Right there with uh, all the other heroes. Rabbi Fass, I thank you. I uh, do have a trip scheduled for December. Who knows? Maybe I'll see you before that. That would be lovely. Maybe during that trip. You never know. If you do need a duffel bag taken, I will. T- this, uh, this time I will pass. Oh, man. You, said, you <laughs> ended it I with said, the I'm word. I have, oh, pass. I, okay. I, I have an obligation to my brother. Are you kidding me? Do you know he folders coffees I got to bring for my brother? Your, niece, your nieces are texting now. So who knows what thank you say? for coming. What do you say about What? That? Say what about you, what? What do you say about a family in Jerusalem who puts in a request every time for folders coffee? <laughs> What do you think of that? It's a beautiful thing. Is it? Sure. And, and me being able to fulfill that request. It's a beautiful thing. You're shliach mitzvah. And that's it. It's, well, it's, actual, it's an actual mitzvah. 100%. To give them the coffee they want. To have simcha in Eretz Yisrael. Wow. I may have asked him Do you know that I'm going There's to... There's some malach up there you, saying, you go, now. Do you know that now I'm going to approach that task very differently? 100%. You should say, hidden mimuchan mazuma before you buy it. <laughs> Don't forget the condition there else. <laughs> Oh, you need that as well? Obviously. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> wrapping um, no, no, I'm sorry. Oh, now it's more it's fine. No, thank you for coming. Thank it's you. very important that you're here. <laughs> and it's even more important that you're going to communicate the message to everyone and be that, um, that tether between Israel and diaspora. And, uh, and you'll have ups and downs. These 48 hours, I think, encapsulates what we're all feeling. Going to the hotel and seeing the people who had to be uprooted. Going to Har Herzl and seeing the ultimate sacrifice. Tonight on the rooftop at a chuppah of a couple from Steyrot, getting married, showing the optimism and hope and you know in what's the future. Happen. 
They'll sing at the, at the, at the chuppah. Oh, don't look at me. I'm going to be cr- crying Chassan in the Kahl corner. Be I'm rap- a crier. Chassan Khal will be wrapped in Israeli flags. Oh, it's going to... Don't, don't script it for them. No, the but you know what state is. I'm saying it's going to be No, something. it's going to be very, very yeah. beautiful. Very beautiful. Oh, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying... No, this it's going to be the, very this beautiful. This is the way people feel right now. The videos, which I'm sure you've seen, of the makeshift weddings. It's that they bring it's the kala. I love it. And she's stunned that this is now her wedding day. This is now her wedding day with all the chayalim. It's great. whole thing is unbelievable. <laughs> Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemSegal.com on the AlchemSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And that will wrap up uh, an amazing first day of our two-day journey to Israel. A uh, big thank you to Rabbi Fast and everybody here at Nefesh for Nefesh headquarters. A big thank you to B and Ralph Rosenbaum, our sponsors. And a big thank you to Yigal Siegel and everybody for tuning in tomorrow from Yeshiva Akotel, where we will have a list of, a, uh, of, a, of another great list, I should say, of great guests who will be uh, sharing with us what's happening here in Israel during this very challenging time. Continue to pray. Continue to uh, say to Hillel on behalf of those who have been abducted by the enemy. Pray for their safe return and pray for those who are wounded and pray for the families of those who've fallen. Uh, They need a lot of comfort and compassion to get through this period of time. Have a uh, wonderful Tuesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.